So would you guys like to drive to Memphis and then fly to Florida? (laughs) (laughs) There's nothing I'd rather do, let me tell you, brother. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Other Ship Podcast. Thanks for listening whenever, wherever you're listening at. I'm your host, Chris Spiker, and with us tonight are producer extraordinaire Michael T.S. Herrick. Hello. And my good friend and other wonderful co-host, Drewster Dramas. How are you doing, bud? I am doing fantastic. All right. And we got a loaded show for you this week. First, we're going to discuss the loaded wrestling weekend that was, being as we're here on we're recording on a Monday night, and we had three shows to talk about over the weekend. Plus, there's probably going to be some shit going down on Raw tonight while we're recording this. And then we're going to cut to an interview with Barry Rose, which I'm extremely excited about. We talk about FanFest. We talk about a bunch of stuff. And Barry is a fantastic dude. If you're listening to this, you probably know this already, though. Before we get into it, I want to pub, plug our T Public store. Our artists have been hard at work dropping new designs. Go get yourself stickers, postcards, you know, everything. There's, there is a little bit of everything on there, including waffles and Wi-Fi. <laughs> Let's talk about the AEW show, Double or Nothing. I mean, depending who you talk to, it sounded like it was more of the nothing part of it last night but by all accounts it wasn't uh their best effort i'll still tune in wednesday and see what's happening they have my viewership every week i'm looking so forward to collision starting on the 17th and if and when we have punk back on a pay-per-view they will receive my money but wait you mean you didn't give them money to watch ftr wrestle jeff jarrett if there had been a couple other matches that i really wanted to watch besides just that and the four pillars match possibly but not when there was a great nxt show on at the same time that cost me my five dollar a month subscription to pika so no i mean both those shows that the wwe put on this weekend were worth the price of peacock for the year i think oh easily easily with quality wrestling wise but AEW's charging what fifty dollars sixty dollars for a pay-per-view match heavy card with not a lot of great matches i mean you have 15 matches no wonder somebody gets drunk during the pay-per-view and falls asleep before the main event i mean (laughs) have they come up with a better streaming option than running it through bleacher report i don't think so from what i saw i saw people commenting in different facebook groups yesterday saying are you having trouble with bleacher report are you having trouble with bleacher report uh hopefully if they get this whole deal that they're supposed to have with Mass. Warner Brothers Discovery and Max worked out. Maybe the right, maybe the pay-per-views will be included in the yeah. in the subscription there, and that would be fantastic. Yeah, they need a better streaming option for sure. I mean, that would be their definite way to combat Peacock or whatever yep. it is that they're going to be if Peacock goes away. You're obviously going to need an option to go head-to-head, and if you put everything from AEW's past or good chunk of it on a network like Max, which everybody has for other reasons, that's an instant audience right there. Well, and Ring of Honor also. So. Well, Mike, you have Honor Club, don't you? The, the new I Honor do not. Club. I've considered it, but I just haven't pulled the trigger, especially this last month as we've been recording a lot and banking content for FanFest. I've not had any extra time to watch anything. Yeah, because, I mean, depending what their older library looks like, it might be worth the investment because if they have some of their older stuff, which is there's some incredible, incredible stuff on there. I 
it, see if it's worth my money. So, so yeah, so we didn't really watch the AEW show. Not a lot of good reviews coming out of it, short of the Fatal 4-Way match and a couple other matches. Apparently, Jericho did the job, but he got his heat back. Yes. Thank God he did the job, but... Hashtag, but, yeah. do the job, Jericho. That's right. Um, all right, before we get too far, I'm going to jump in here. Bill and Chris both went... Six and three on their predictions for the AEW show. I went four and five because I took a couple of risks thinking maybe they'd switch some things up. Didn't happen. That's fine. Now, you guys now, still denied on that. Now, do I get a point for Statlander winning the title, even though I didn't predict it on the show? No, sir. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> nice try. Hey, I mean, you didn't, you didn't you didn't predict it on this show because you said advertised for the fucking show. Fuck you, Tony Khan. Fuck it. Let's just go ahead and do that match, even though it wasn't the opener. Let's talk about it. you have undefeated champion Jade Cargill versus Taya Valkyrie, who was beaten clean a few weeks ago on TV, which was a terrible decision in my opinion. Agreed. They face off here. You think? Well, they brought in Taya for a reason. Maybe she's going to take the belt here. Jade retains. Okay, fine. Statlander comes out. Great. Build to a match at Wembley Stadium between these two. Make it work for your booking. Right. But what do they do? Let's just have an impromptu match right now and have Statlander go over with no build, nothing. I mean, this is this is worse than the Goldberg-Hogan title change where you had, what, Thursday to Monday to sell tickets to the Georgia Dome. At least they popped a house and a rating. You got nothing extra out of this match. That's a money match right there. Like the two of them could yes. be Jade's biggest money match to date. Yeah. So Especially, I, mean, yeah, I think they need like a flagship women's match to plant the flag for the women's division and say, we belong in the main events. And they haven't had one yet. To me, they're light years behind the WWE women. Well, unfortunately, psychology and I think that's what they're trying to gear Jamie and Tony for. But unfortunately, with Jamie legit being hurt, I think that didn't quite go the way it was supposed to. So maybe they'll run it back at Wembley in front of their biggest crowd ever. Because they're going to need something huge for that. And I think if you're going to do something big, A, last night was not a good start for it. And B, you're going to want something to really make that name. Is it going to be Britt Baker? Is it going to be one of the other women that they draw into that are going to bring it to the level, especially of some of the women's stuff we saw this weekend from WWE? Not all of it. We'll get to that. If Jamie is healthy, then yes, she and Tony can have a banger of a match that would give it that main event level potential if they put in brit brit's character work is fantastic she is over she is not great in the ring she's good i'm not sure if tony can lead her to a great match because brit just she doesn't have that long 20 minute 25 minute high quality match in her that i've seen so far and tons of charisma yes or, or is this where you bring thunder rosa back that's possible that could be good but hopefully Jamie's healthy and we get Jamie and Tony back because that would be the best option, I think. Who, despite her backstage drama, which we know doesn't matter in AEW, cough, cough, uh, EVPs, um, Thunder Rosa can go in the ring. Yes, so, I mean, if you find a way to work her into it, Jamie's not healthy. There's your match with her and Tony. That could be a banger in Wembley. I just like a lot of the women there need to be working more in house show type settings and getting more ring time together, getting more cohesive would help because uh, how we had talked 
uh, off air about not to get too far ahead, but the Becky and Trish match, how it was kind of had those halting moments. And mm-hmm. a lot of AEW's women's action is like that. It's like the, uh, where they're, they just have those awkward pauses and herky jerk movements and where they're just out of sync. Yeah. And right. it's really, really obvious and takes you out of it for a second. And see, Jade was notorious for that for a while, but Jade has improved leaps and bounds. She's really trying. I mean, if you're training with Brian Danielson, you're training with the best wrestler on the planet, in my opinion. My beef with Jade is she's an amazing athletic talent. She's an amazing heel persona, but she knows how to beat the shit out of people. It's like Road Warrior kind of thing. She knows how to beat the shit out of people and take from them, but she doesn't know how to leave them better for them losing to her. She's just right. smashing people and just leaving them in the fucking dust. Yeah, she's not a heel that can lead somebody through a map. Okay, I, I, so we touched on Cole and Jericho. Jericho did the job. Thank you. I'm just glad that Cole got the win because coming back from an injury, he needs to be pushed and pushed hard towards something. I think that's who challenges MJF and Wembley. I think that would be fantastic. Because Cole is stupid Cole? over right now. Like stupid yeah. over. And you know, would they and, book and, that though, or would they just want to be contrarian just for the hell of it? Because that's kind of their nature. True. <laughs> Go to the match we didn't think should have been on here in the first place. Hardy Party versus <laughs> the Guns and Ethan Page. Now I didn't see Dynamite last week. Was it Isaiah Cassidy? Yeah. Is that who was supposed to be their partner? Did he get hurt? Yeah. Okay, because he was, who who replaced him? Hook. Hook, right. Okay, fine enough match, I suppose. The right people won because when you have the contract of Ethan Page on the line like that, you need to have the Hardys win. Now, give us what we deserve. Give us some vignettes of Ethan Page working with Senor Benjamin at the Hardy compound. (laughs) We need him washing the dilapidated boat. We need him uh, planting flowers and all kinds of stuff. That's what we need. Please give that to us. Please. Getting ready for the next House Hardy Halloween. Heck yeah. Okay, so now the the match that we completely fucked up picking. Uh, 21 men in this match. Spiker (laughs) and I each took 20 of those guys as options, and we still got it wrong. Jesus Christ. And we didn't get Baron Von right back, so we lost twice. I'm I'm still mad about this. I don't know. I mean, I, I like Orange Cassidy. I'm glad he's still got the belt. I really do think this was an opportunity, though, for one of the guys you're going to feature on Collision, whether it's Miro, whether it's Andrade, somebody to have won that match and take that title to Collision and make it like the belt for that show. I think this was a perfect opportunity because Orange Cassidy didn't have to lose to lose the title. Exactly. It set up. And this was a perfect opportunity to make that title change. The outcome's fine. I just think there was better ways to book this. Uh, The thing I I see with Orange is he's still wildly over with the internet crowd in the house, the people in in the building. I don't think the general wrestling audience is feeling it. And I don't think him not having the title would change the people that are behind him. He's over with the group he's over with. That's not going away. It's like Jake didn't have to have a title in the 80s in WWF. The guy was over. You can keep him as a upper level baby face and book him high on your card. And people are going to go for it because people that like him are going to like him no matter what. Right. He's got the Pavlovian thing where they expect him. So why not? Why not give shine to somebody else with this title? Right, right. Once again, you so eloquently say what I'm trying to get out of my <laughs> jumbled head. All right, Wardlow and Christian Cage. I picked Christian just because I thought maybe this was a spot where they would mix something up. 
Yeah, did Gangrel show up? <laughs> no, but Arne, no, no, but apparently Arnie Anderson bit off Luchasaurus's finger. Yeah, I haven't looked into any of this. I don't know what the hell. No, no, I, I haven't either. But it, but it's Arn Anderson doing things. Okay, and that's all I need I mean, to know. Like I said, I wanted Arn Anderson to give Luchasaurus a spine buster. I still think my idea was better. He, but he, he, he gave us a buster of some sort. Tony, I can give you my phone number if you need it. I've got all kinds of ideas here. Just and give me a call. Uh, your free time. Yeah, well, some. <laughs> some. I've got some free time around editing. I mean, I can talk while I edit, potentially. But yeah, Wardlow winning, that's great. I like him. He, yeah. Guy's strong. That's totally fine. No complaints. I like him, and I like him and Arn together. But then again, you know, yeah. Arn's one of those guys that can really do no wrong. So. Exactly. Exactly. Also, shout out to RJ City on the pre-show. I saw the pre-show interview with him and Arn, and he, he ended with, and my stepfather, Arn Anderson. Because <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it was some sort of comment made about his mom, and RJ just looks all scared of the camera, and Arn's sitting there with this shit-eating grin on his face. Oh, wasn't it something about, he asked if Arn was packing, and he said, ask your mom or something yes. like that? <laughs> yes. God love you, Arn. Yep. There's a reason you're in my top three all time, man. You're the best. Agreed. FTR versus Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal. FTR had to win. There was there was no reason for them to drop the belts here. This is fine. I'm sure it was a good match, and I'll probably try and seek it out to watch it because it's the one that I probably wanted to see the most just because I love FTR. Was, uh, this is the one that Mark Briscoe was the ref for, right? Yes. yes. Was uh, there any involvement there with him, or was he just kind of there? Or did he play an actual part of the story? Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and uh, take a liberty here. I just got a call from Japan, and uh, the, the <laughs> other ship fan Hall of Fame is going to induct the Briscoe Brothers tag team right now because they were fucking awesome and uh, so good. underrated, criminally underrated. And uh, those dudes deserve their fucking flowers, man. The fucking Briscoes, Jay and Mark. The Bruiser would be proud. All right, so Jeff Jarrett tried to hit Dax with a guitar, but missed and hit Mark Briscoe by mistake. There it is. Uh, FTR took down Lethal with the Shatter Machine, but there was no referee. Aubrey Edwards ran down, but was hit in the head with a guitar by Karen Jarrett. Jeff used the guitar on Harwood and hit the stroke, but there was still no referee. Briscoe was woken up, but Harwood managed to kick out. Jarrett slapped Briscoe and was slapped back. FTR then hit the Shatter Machine and pinned Jarrett. There you go. A lot of schmas. Sorry to interrupt. But in what universe would Mark Briscoe slap anybody? Mark Briscoe's the type straight up punch you in your face. Right. But hey, that's fine. The, the right team won. It wasn't too terribly overbooked. So better than anything WWE did. <laughs> mm, nope. <laughs> but that's fine. All right. Um, <laughs> shockingly, the elite did the job to the not the British Broadcasting Corporation, but the Blackpool Combat Club, the BCC. So hey. Better. That's good. I saw that uh, Kanosuke Kesta came out and helped Blackpool win. That's cool. Can we move on now? Can Danielson and Claudio get away from this, the stench of Omega and the Bucks and move on, please? I would like to say yes, but I'm afraid the answer is probably not. We're probably getting the, what is the blood and guts, their version yeah. of war games. That's probably where it's headed next. God damn it, I don't care. <laughs> That's probably where the elite go over then, I would imagine. So... No. Why? Thank God. Thank God for Wheeler Yuta. He'll probably be the one to do the job. Him or him or maybe Moxley. I just it'll probably be it'll probably be. Oh you know, damn it. Yeah. Uh, I, okay. I, I feel that deep in my bones. All right. So we got two matches left here. One of which was not on the card. With nine matches announced for this show, <laughs> and already, already, <laughs> Chris Stanley 
Chris Statlander coming out and beating Jade to give us 10 matches. That was not enough. Let's add a six-man tag match with the most over-tag team on the fucking show, the Acclaimed. Let's not announce them and their match ahead of time. Let's do it day of the show. What the fuck? It's a surprise. It's something. Like I talked about the last show, I want this company to do well. I want them to thrive and succeed. Stop shooting yourself in the foot with some of these things. Yeah, agreed. That, that made zero sense whatsoever. The acclaim are stupid over. People are ec- ecstatic. I mean, and they went from nobodies to real somebodies, and that is spectacular. I mean, I mean, I mean would have been too on the nose for Max Caster to look at Buddy Murphy and be like, hey, what's mommy up to? Does she want a scissor? Apparently, there was a line in the rap about Dominic. Really? It, I did see that on Twitter That's last night. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah. Max's raps are the best. I mean, and even House of Black, they're pretty over. Yeah. Those, these are two teams and, and titles. Why would you not have that be just, I mean, at least announce the House of Black is going to issue an open challenge. Yeah. But this is a match you announce and let people know is going to take place. Well, I just don't I mean, get it. I mean, but again, the right guy took the fall. Billy ass took the fall. Right. I mean, I mean, at least, at least there was that the, the acclaim didn't really lose out on much. I mean, how can you lose on a, how can you really lose on a match? that was unannounced to begin with. I don't get it. Still better than WWE. I'm pretty positive without having seen it. I'm pretty positive. It was not. I don't know why you <laughs> wouldn't advertise your guys that sell tickets. Right. And merch and everything else. I don't get it, but Hey, all right, so that leaves us with the four pillars match. I saw bits and pieces, highlights on TikTok today. Looked like it was great. There were lots of innovative, cool, uh, like four-way submission spots, and they all at one point uh, took turns hitting the like the signature moves of their quote-unquote mentors. Yeah. Well, I'm not really sure about Cody being the mentor for MJF so much. That one didn't seem quite right to me, but I guess they didn't want him to do a go to sleep or something. I don't know. Yeah, um, a little too on the nose. But yeah, uh, MJF winning—that's the—that was the right call. I had picked uh, Jungle Boy Jack Perry as a possible upset because he was the only one of the three I feel like they had ready to take that step. But yeah, I think MJF Cole is probably where you go from here, or should be. Don't let Cole get pulled down by any of the uh, Jericho Jobber Society or whatever. I mean, who else do you really have at this point? I mean, you have two months. What? It's the the end of when's their stadium show? July, August, something like that. Let me see here. Because that gives you two month, two or three months to build up a credible challenger at MJF. And who you have so far that you could do? You have Adam Cole. Here's the problem. They've Punk, you, Punk is an instant credibility because he didn't lose the title. So you could go that route, but I doubt they will. Well, do you think you could go blood and gut the dick shits versus the BBC and MJF and Punk as a double main event? Yeah, so it's the end of August. So they've got three months. They've got June, July, and August to build somebody up. That's enough time to spend another month putting Cole over Jericho and his group and then getting him on the path to the title. And that's what they should do. So we'll see how it goes. Because as fun as the Four Pillars match was, I'm sure none of those guys are ready. Uh, Jungle Boy could probably pull it off for a short time, but none of them are ready to step in and fill MJF's shoes long term. No. I could have seen like uh, Jungle Boy winning it here and then dropping it back in Wembley, but you probably want a bigger match. And it's it's either Cole or it's uh, Punk or you go back to Danielson. I don't know. I think it's got to be Cole. I think that's what makes the most sense because it's fresh and you want a new, fresh, big matchup for this show. I would think so. 
No, I. All right, any more any more thoughts on AEW? Nope, they just need to get their shit together. Yeah, I got nothing. All right, let's go to uh, NXT Takeover Battleground. The show was really, really good. Yes, it was. Damn. Um, I don't know if you and Bill ever picked uh, a winner for the Creeds versus Gallus. Uh, if not, you guys both went three and two. Drew, you made three picks before leaving, but you went zero for three, and then I went four. Got me. I went for two because I did pick Creeds on the post in the Facebook group for the episode. Look, I'm just mad the Power Twins did not win the match like I thought. Okay. <laughs> Again, you just kind of shoehorn that match in. And I mean, we'll, we'll we'll get to it in the order on the show. But honestly, I felt that that match should have had a little bit more of a bigger build. But maybe the Creeds will get another big shot going down the line. Because I can see them getting belts. That's not a doubt in my mind. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, I would assume they'll be the ones to dethrone Gallus and get the titles back, although... Schism could be coming in hot. Eh, well, the thing know. with Schism is both of those guys, their contracts are up in October, and they, they won it out a month ago, and they, oh, yeah. they they refused to release them. So Schism as a whole, Gacy and them, they just don't do it for me, and I don't know why. Gacy's a good little worker, though, man. He's a good dude. Oh, yeah. I like him. It's like Sayama and Trevor Murdoch's body. <laughs> I, think, I think it's getting better. They're they're finding their way and, and it's improving, but it's going to suck if they lose. I don't even remember what they're calling them now. They were the grizzled young veterans who were a great fucking tag team in NXT UK. If anybody was watching that, they were fantastic over there. I, that's why I, that's why I had picked um, in this opening match here, Wesley versus Tyler Bate versus Joe Gacy. I really thought we were going to get Tyler Bate turning heel and joining schism to give them some momentum. But I'm fine with Wesley continuing as North American champion. I guess he set a record for most. It was title defenses. Title defenses? Yeah, most successful North American title defenses with this match last night. So, you know, good for him. I like him a lot. He's very entertaining. The thing I liked about this match was they kept it tight and it there was always something going on. And it wasn't the usual, oh, one guy mainly stays outside where the other two do their shit. The three of them were always interacting with right. something going on. Yeah, and those guys, they can all three go, and it was a strong opener. Uh, as an aside, a comment from both Ma and Pa says, were, why is that guy wearing his underwear? Oh. <laughs> That's just and what they, Tyler Bay wears. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it, it's yeah. made worse by the no knee pads. Yes. yes, accentuated. Yes, there you go. Christine's like, so that's the big strong boy? And JJ's like, da. <laughs> like... <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was funny. Right, right as she asked, you hear him. He's sitting there. He's watching it with his. He goes, da. Great. That, the, the spot that popped me during this match was the sunset flip into the German suplex spot. For some reason, I freaking love that. I thought that was yes. really well done. That was yeah, incredible. That looked great. Yeah. I mean, it was tight. You didn't. There was no like downtime with just two guys. It seemed like it seemed like three of them were always kind of shuffling through. And, Wesley really impressed me. I mean, yes. he is so good. He's so fluid and yes. makes look easy. That senton out of the ring. Holy crap, man. Yeah, he he flew right by Gacy and landed on Bader, flew by Bate and landed on Gacy. It was perfect. It was just beautiful. Thank God that when Joe Gacy did his dive to the outside, he was able to get his leg down to help support some of his weight so he didn't wipe out yeah. the other two guys completely. Because I was scared. I was like, oh, shit, somebody's going to die here. Yeah, there was... 
there was a bump that happened later on that had me going, oh my gosh. Yeah, I actually I actually think you and I might be thinking the same thing because there was one that had me rewinding repeatedly to make sure he was okay. Yeah, that t- that turned Pasta into the Leonardo DiCaprio meme where he's got the drink and pointing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> you see that? You see that? Hell, you hell, see of an hell of an opener. You set the tone for the night and... An incredible yep. match. Everybody else, everybody else on the card fucking kept pace. Yep. In the words of Charlie Murphy, these guys are habitual tone setters. <laughs> <laughs> That's tremendous. All right. So what do you guys think of the British round style in the Heritage Cup match? That was cool. I like the way they worked it. It's a nice little twist. It broke it broke yep. the monotony of the of the uh the whole card. Not that there right. that was monotonous, but it, it was a a change up when you're getting fastballs and splitters. Yep, it was a palate cleanser between Thank you. the high flying, fast paced, and then the beat the fucking shit out of each other that came next. Yeah. I mean, I like both guys. I think Dragon Lee is a lot of fun to watch. Gnome Dar is such a great heel that I think it worked. No, I mean, it's a very interesting match. And I want to see what they do in like a strict, because I'm sure it's going to lead to a straight one on one singles match with none of the rounds bullshit and you're gonna have to have people equalize whatever club gnome dar's got going on with yeah, last uh, legend and jakara jackson yeah i'm very interested in this potentially being a group because noem dar was at his best with alicia fox by alicia his side Ooh. alicia fox Ooh. i so, love that every time yeah Given Life's Legend and Jakara Jackson something bigger to do on the yeah. show, I think is good to bring them along. And I think this could be a lot of fun if they work this as some kind of a faction here. Yeah. Because I think even though Dar is a great little scummy douchebag heel, he has so much charisma. And the people with him, if they keep this as a group, have enough charisma that you could see them turn face and maybe feud with schism down the line. Yeah, a little faction warfare. Yeah. yeah, it was a, a wild match. And then uh, the bump, the aforementioned bump that we just spoke of, man, Dragon Lee took a, a bad looking one. <laughs> he had yeah. to feeling woozy after that. I mean, that was, ah, I hate seeing that stuff. I love this high flying and these crazy moves. And it's, it's really spectacular. But man, as a guy who has to wake up and go to work tomorrow, I'm like, oh. <laughs> Right. Yeah, you just want everybody to be okay. Yeah, exactly. Like paternal instincts kick in. Yes, exactly. But if I was like 20, I'd be like, hell yeah. Right. <laughs> he almost died. Woo. <laughs> ECW. <laughs> <laughs> so now we come to Dragonov versus Dijak, and holy fucking shit. Dude, Pat Dijak is insane, dude. Right. He's got- He's like Mike Awesome, Drew McIntyre type, just giant monster that can fly and power moves. He can wrestle. Yep. He's going to be a main roster star soon. I hope so. I mean, they had him up in that terrible retribution gimmick a year or two ago. It went nowhere and he was wasted. I'm so glad to see him back in NXT and getting a push and getting something done with him. And I don't know if it's over between these two guys or not, for sure. I would be very happy to see them go another round at uh, the next takeover at Great American Bash. But I don't know what kind of match you'd put them in with the last man standing match here. I don't know where you would go, but goddamn, I could watch them pound on each other. And just the brutality. I mean, it was in a different way, but on par with the mania match between Sheamus and Gunther and Drew McIntyre. 
with the brutality and the sheer force and power behind the stuff. It was like watching the Terminator and the T-1000 in T-2. You had the right. bigger guy. Right. You, had, you had Dijak beating the shit out of Ilya Dragunov, who was T-1000, just kept coming and coming. And it's like, oh, man. And you're like, man, you respect both those guys. So they kept coming. Sorry, I had to step away for a moment. I'm assuming we already talked about the, the sixth spot with Dragunov going through the table. We didn't, but goddamn, yeah. That's the spot that made me. I literally rewound it like three times to watch the spot with Dragunov going through the table to get the Dijak. I'm like, what the f- Holy shit! <laughs> I mean, those guys—they left it all out there in the ring, and holy shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that table spots where he got the chin there looked like for a second. I was like, dude, did he just get his lip ripped off? <laughs> that's, that's what I thought. The, the way that blood was pouring down his face, I thought something like that happened to him when he went through. And then they replayed yeah, it. It's a wood like, or something. I gotta say that one spot where. Dragonov is stumbling across the ring after being hit with a move and hits the ropes. And just that's the only thing keeping him up from being counted down to 10 and being out. It didn't look contrived. It's just like, holy shit, this guy got his fucking bell rung and this is what happened. Yeah. It looked good. And the, uh, and the kendo stick spot had Tatum popping. Yeah. We had yeah. him in the and he was just lighting him up and he would, oh, dude, God, dude yeah. he was selling so good. Yep. I'm like, Whimpering, Tim's like he's he's hurting him for real. Oh my god! Uh, I'm like, yeah. <laughs> did you watch much of the NXT UK at all, Drew? A uh, little bit. Okay, go back and search out Dragonov versus uh, Walter. Yes, from there because holy shit, man! Both of them. Yep. Both Just good. On a takeover or something. They might have. I remember yeah, seeing those I, two I, work before, but they had a good little feud in NXT UK. I think the second one was on a takeover. The first one was like on one of the NXT UK like super shows right but gunther just lighting him up and dragging off just like dead on his feet and, and dude, still taking his chest. dude he's like the modern day ricky morton like his chest is just like right where hamburger still stand yeah like yeah like hamburger meat man just fucking raw shit and props to the end of this match too like the ending with the flying form into the back of his head in the face first yes. in the chair i'm like this is awesome yeah, off the fucking steps leaned up against the ropes like such a cool visual yeah and i was just so glad the steps didn't move and he would slip and get hurt or anything yeah. the one bump that Dragonoff took on the steps in the ring like yeah. oh my god that Probably cracked a fucking vertebrae or something. Jesus. Give Dragunov all the belts. Yeah. You know what? I wouldn't argue. But. I mean, either one of those guys. Like, as I was telling Christina, I could see Dragunov or Dijak being the next big contender to Carmelo. Oh, yeah. Easily. Hell, you know what match. I'd like to see? I'd like to see this match. They earn each other's respect. And we get these two versus Mello and Trick. Okay. I think that could be how you get one of them into the title picture. Or maybe it maybe becomes a three-way match between these two and Mello because they both deserve that opportunity with the, the performance they put in. Just goddamn inspired shit. Yeah. Inspired, fired work. Totally. So now we've got the match that was added this week on NXT TV, Gallus versus the Creed Brothers for the NXT tag team titles. Talk about another just brutal beating on each other match. These these two teams. Gallus was so good in NXT UK at dishing out ass whippings, and the Creed Brothers can fucking take it and dish it right back. I mean, this was I don't want to say it was Doom Steiners because that's fucking lofty shit, but it was in that vein, I would say. 
Yeah, it was added on, and I don't think it got the gravitas that it could have from doing so, especially because, I mean, their two teams are obviously very good. Right. There were some great power spots in this match, though. Agreed. The suplex nip-up spot. It was crazy, crazy good. The booking was just really good. I mean, the psychology of the match was told wonderfully, and I didn't know who was going to win. And that's a lot of these matches. I mean, uh, I know a lot of these guys, seen a lot of them work, and but I don't know their stories in these matches per se. But there's a really cool element of only knowing NXT a little bit and watching these matches because you really have that suspension when you watch these matches. Those dudes, the Creed brothers, the comparison earlier, like half Steiners and, uh, geez, I already forgot the other team, but world's greatest tag team. team. I mean, you see it, you see it. Incredible workers too. The the universal wrestling sign is when the straps come down, somebody's getting their ass beat. Julius Creed is the newest member of that club. As soon as the straps come down, it's about about to get real. Yep. We're not talking fist drop off the second rope either. No. We're talking (laughs) fuck your shit up and turn you into a pretzel. Yeah, totally. And I I do like how they had Ivy out there to back them up. And then you get Ava from the schism coming out because... It's been like a three-way feud between Schism and the Creeds and Gallus over these tag titles for a while. Yeah. And I like that they went ahead and continued that here. Makes sense. I mean, it kept with storyline. I mean, I mean, even Shawn Michaels was lazy. I could see that's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> well, damn. Now let's get to the most surprising match of the night, I think. And that was Tiffany Stratton defeating Lyra Valkyria to become the new NXT Women's Champion. Holy shit, was this match way better than I could have possibly expected. Incredible. I I liked Lyra Valkyria in NXT UK the little bit that I saw because I'd kind of stopped watching around the time she came in. But she had her working boots on. She sold that fucking knee injury like a fucking champ all night. And Tiffany Stratton is somebody who, when they first debuted her, I thought, oh, God. This is just, oh, look at me. It was like uh, the little rich girl. The daddy always gave her everything. That was the thing. And yeah, she was athletic and she would do some stuff that looked cool, but there wasn't a lot of substance to her work. And then last night, God damn, as Booker T so aptly put it, she was dipping deep into her tool bag (laughs) to to break out some moves. Because I like that stretch muffler. When the fuck (laughs) do you see that in a women's match? And I don't think I've never seen her do something like that. I don't think. So would you say this was the shucky ducky quack quack of the night? Oh, I would say so. To use another Booker T-ism. <laughs> but I mean, these ladies, they worked hard. Tiffany's work was amazing. I got to say, man, at, at one point, Gemma left the room, came back and said, when did Charlotte start wrestling? Like she really showed that type of polish. Not that Charlotte's the greatest yeah. women's wrestler, but she's really good. And yeah, and yeah, Tiffany implants. Tiffany's implants look better. Um, <laughs> well, Sean did Charlotte's, I think. <laughs> Looks good to uh, me. The final moonsault <laughs> that Tiffany won the match with that thing that was fucking picture perfect uh, moonsault. I mean, from and you're going to get that with her being a gymnast, like yeah. a collegiate gymnast. She's going to have the form and everything, but she hit it perfectly. A lot of times you see those and it's off a little bit. You're you're catching them in the face. You're catching them in the legs. You're just barely hitting them with your arms or something because you overshot it. She was fucking dead on the money. Impact, everything, just perfect. I was extremely impressed. I've, she's grown on me 
as time has gone on, they've done more with her and, and broke her out a little bit of just the spoiled rich girl that she started out with. That gimmick means so much more when you can work in the ring. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because I then know. she can back it up and have a great match. You, then you can watch the promos and the vignettes and go, like, oh, God, what a bitch. Right. <laughs> like, but she can really back bo- it up. And, and I don't know if she just really it clicked for her sometime recently and she just really came on fast. Or if they were kind of slow playing it with her and not having her show everything she could do early on. That's a definite star making match for both of them. If you had any doubt. Oh yeah, for sure. And that's, that's the kind of thing that AEW's women's division is lacking because I mean, if you go back to our prediction show, you guys, you two and bill all picked Roxanne Perez with, with good reason, because she has been pushed. She's very good, especially for as young as she is. Yes. And she's over with the crowd and Cora Jade, somebody, I mean, there was a five minute video package about Cora Jade last night. And I'll be honest when that played, I'm like, I'm going to get this wrong. They're Lyra's going to win and they're going to continue Lyra versus Cora for the title after this. And I think they just see that much in, in Cora Jade and what she can do going forward that any of these four women could have won this title that were in the final four there. But the fact that they went with two lesser known ones or, or maybe not lesser known, but lesser proven women. And then they put on this kind of performance. You're not, you're not uh, dipping into the roster of AEW's women and pulling two women like this up to have this kind of a match. You can barely do it from the top level of their women's division. And this is the developmental women's division in WWE. It was probably the best women's match of the entire weekend. I would buy that. I'm digging, man. I'm I'm digging this rise in women's wrestling and yes. As a as a father of daughters, it's really cool, yeah. man. It's my kids yeah. are getting That's empowered cool. from it and they were really exactly. like the the promos and the vignettes with Roxanne about her being, you know, the talent search winner and, you know, the prodigy. And they're like, I can do that. I'm like, yeah, if they have a performance center, you can go there and try out. It's about time that women's wrestling in the U S was treated at the level that Japan has done it for almost 40 years. Indeed. I'd leave a good tip on that comment. (laughs) To the weekend, probably one of the absolute best matches of the weekend. Oh, yeah, I would say so. I don't think it was the best match on this card just because of how good Dragonov and Dijak were. I think that's probably my top match for this show. And that, that takes nothing away from Tiffany and Lyra because they were right there with this match. The opener was and, right there, too. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah. It was. And a good main event, too. Yeah. Yes. So I mean, It, it might have been better than their last match between Mello and yeah. Braun. Yeah. Because the roles here were much more defined. You had more of a baby face versus baby face at their last right. match. This one, Braun is the right. badass heel, and it shows. He's so much better as a heel. Yes, he is. And, I mean, everybody tells you that, that was in the business, they'll say it's so much easier to work heel than it is face. And, I mean, he's he's Rick's kid, but goddamn if he isn't Scott Steiner Jr. Exactly. I was just about to say right. when he announced. I mean, I mean, when he was a face, you could definitely tell he was Rick's kid. When he's a heel, you can tell he's Scott's nephew through and through. <laughs> right. All the, all the shit he was talking and everything else, and just the way he is, like that big snarling bear type dude that's going to rip your fucking yeah. head off. Right. He's super cross-trained, too. There's nothing at Shoney's that he can't do. Yeah. <laughs> He can run the salad bar. He can work front of the house. He can run the line. He can expedite. He's got it all. He'll be frying your chicken tenders and washing your dishes at the same time, barreling through everybody on the line to do so. 
I liked the mask they had on him, the dog kind of thing. That was kind of cool. It's a neat look and something different that will make him stand out visually before you see him. I think it was after bring and beat somebody up. I think it was after a spear and he went to go pin Mello and he let Mello up and he started doing the push-ups. I'm like, all right there, Scotty. Right? It's it's the little things. Yes. Exactly. I was just going to say the little things. things. Yeah. Being a heel, he's allowed he's you can see the light coming on on a lot of the things he's doing. The thing is, the little things, you can definitely tell it's a new sheriff's in town, because as we'll talk about on the Night of Champions, Champions. it's the little things that they're starting to do more of. Speaking of little things, and I was thrown off because I had to walk away before. Did You guys saw the Creed Brothers signs in the audience, right? When they had the tag team title match? All the people holding up the little Creed Brothers signs? Yeah, I think so. Well... In the middle, if you go back and watch the replay of it, there are all the people on the hard camera side holding up little Creed Brother signs. Some guy holds up a big sign that says, I just farted. <laughs> I don't know why it was so damn funny. It just was. I don't. I, sh- I read it down somewhere else. I don't know why. I'm speaking of the little things. It's little things like that. Right. It's little things in the audience, little things in the ring, you know. And I must say, I thought Carmelo was great as a heel. He's a fantastic babyface. Yes, he is. And it, it's crazy. You saw him and Braun in their original roles. And you're like, yeah, I can, I see this. This is who they are. But once they flip the switch and turned Carmelo face and Braun heel, that's where they need to be. Yep. I mean, this is it. And this is a rivalry we can see for the next 15 years. I really think Agreed. that these guys are both something special that they can build the company around going forward. Or do you finally bite the bullet and send Braun to the main roster? I meant the main roster. I can see them being like the next big pair to for the future of WWE because I, I wondered if this lost Braun signaled his departure to the roster, the main roster. Be. And something we talked about off air that I think would work if they were ready to move up him and the creeds, go ahead and spin Otis off into the maximum male models and have the uh, taskmaster Chad Gable with the new era modern day varsity club with Braun and the creeds and just fucking wreaking havoc. And as a group, you bring Shelton Benjamin back. You add Shelton Benjamin to that stable and you have yeah. like the greatest stable ever, at least wrestling wise in a long time. What, yeah. uh, what color singlet is Kennesaw state? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that until it's like Michigan and Oklahoma, and Syracuse. Right. Yeah. <laughs> We got Minnesota. Michigan State Tech A and T A and M State. All right, we ready to move to the big show? Yes, yes, yes. Many thoughts on this one. All right, I had a champions fucking tremendous opener between Seth and AJ. I really never thought there was much chance that AJ would win until the match started. And damned if they didn't have me thinking a couple of times. Fuck it, they're pulling the trigger. They yep. AJ hadn't had a match for a, a world title in four years. Fuck it, they're giving him another run here. What an amazing match! Yep. It was. I, I was just. I was as a wrestling fan. I was. I loved it. Is I mean, everything you want from a wrestling match? I mean, the tease with the calf crusher when Seth went down on his knee, and then AJ was working yeah. out with the calf crusher. The, like the psychology was all there. I'd completely forgotten about AJ using the calf crusher because he like, it didn't even him. enter my mind until he did. It. I'm like, holy shit! Yes. You know, AJ hitting, you know, trying for the South Clash like three times in a match. And then the sharpshooters, yeah. pedigrees. Well, I mean, when he hit the pedigree, I popped a little bit. When he hit the pedigree on Seth, I popped a little bit. I'm not even going to lie. But yeah, it was a foregone conclusion. But you have two great wrestlers in there who can go. And they made you believe for a little bit, which is a sign of a great match, that it could have swung the other direction. And multiple times throughout the match. 
Yes. Like it wasn't just one short stretch at one point. There were multiple chances. Like they cut it off once where it looked like AJ was getting ready to end it. And he goes for the phenomenal forearm and Seth knocks him to the fucking floor. Yeah. As he's jumping up. I mean, it was just, it was perfectly executed. And it, it took you from like, holy shit, AJ's going to win to ah, that, that sneaky motherfucker, the architect. Yep. He wasn't as down as he looked. He was he was baiting him in. But, but again, you couldn't be angry with it. Seth has earned it. All of his hard work. He's over. I mean, it. either way. Either way it works. Right. And that opens up. I mean... I know we've discussed in the past on the show here, he's got a ton of title contenders. I think they're going to set up for him and Baylor for at least money in the bank, at least as like his first big feud. I hope so. Uh, I don't remember back AJ and damn, I don't remember if it was one of you two or if it was bill, but somebody on the preview show mentioned or hell, maybe it was even prior to that when we were uh, trying to book this out a couple of weeks ago before we knew who was going to be in it. If you want somebody to give instant credibility to this new title, Seth is the perfect guy to do that because he's been at the top and he is a proven main event guy and he's like a that ambiguous type character anti-hero type you know he's not a heel he's not a face he walks that line he can be something different any night of the week depending on who he's working with you know he could be the sinister evil bastard or he could be the fucking benevolent you know agilent guy soaking in the cheers just depends on who he's working with you know so he could i think they could get a lot of mileage out of him carrying the belt for a minute and and he does both so well that you need a guy like him, especially right now. He's he's going to be there every week. Well, maybe not right now because he's off filming Captain America four. But really, which, which hey, you know what? Good on him. Yeah, he's apparently has a role in the new Captain America movie they're filming right now. Which a, it's awesome that they're doing. B, will we get the chance to see him try and curb stomp the Falcon out of midair? <laughs> he plays man on bench. That'd be fucking sweet. I gotta say, uh, we we mentioned the cell job by Lyra of her knee. But Rollins did a great job of. Yeah. consistently selling the leg in this match because so many times anymore we see somebody oh their knees hurt or whatever and it lasts for a minute or two and then it's like everything's yep. fine and yeah you're gonna have moments where adrenaline kicks in and you can fight through the pain for a minute but it needs to be fleeting yeah and then you take a wrong step and it gets you again and yeah. rollins did that very well I think. yeah because he went for the stomp or something and you like fall it fell over right on aj it's like oh shit and that's when you thought it's like okay aj's good aj's gonna exploit this exactly a lot of cards that match would be match of the night that's how good it was and i mean it, they promoted triple main event and we got three main events out of it yes we did i'll be honest i think we almost got four but we'll get to that in a minute now next up is the worst match that i saw this weekend and it's not particularly close i was worried i was worried i mentioned on the preview show that trish did not look good in that tag match and we needed to see something from her to kind of allay those concerns and she did not look great in this match either it was not crisp very sloppy execution a number of times to her defense neither one of them did though no but and that's a rare thing for becky as much as i like becky i don't think becky is necessarily at the level as a worker that she can work around all the issues that trish had like she's not strong enough to help make some of the things up like the two attempts at the stratisfaction where it looked like trish had lead in her ass and They couldn't hardly get to the second rope for her to push off of for the bulldog, let alone them trying to get it to the top rope. Now, somebody like Rhea or Bianca in there with her, you you wouldn't have noticed Trish had trouble with. But they need to drop the uh, Hurricane Rana, the second rope Hurricane Rana thing. 
that never looks good anymore. I mean, no. Trish barely gets her legs up to the head and they're not on long enough for her to flip somebody. It just looks too, con- too contrived out of everything that can be contrived. That just, it looks awful. It needs to stop. They did it twice last night. Please stop. Yeah. Just do missionary flips. But I like the, uh, I like the finish with Zoe Stark. Yes. Yeah. Super under the sure. ring. I like, I don't, I don't want to hear Zoe Stark talk. She cannot cut a promo very well at all, but she can work yep. and using her as like Trisha's flunky slash apprentice slash, uh, henchman, whatever. Yeah. I think that's a great, a great <laughs> use for her on the, on the main roster right now and to get her some heat with the crowd going forward. What was that finisher that she put on Becky? That was wild. It was like a yeah. 360 What's whip to a go to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. That was, yeah, what, I've never seen that what, one before. What, yeah, that was sick. What, what do they call it? I'm, I'm trying to think of the name of it. And it's <laughs> something like the, the ozone or something like that. I don't know. It was wild looking though. I was like, Whoa, everybody popped when they saw that. I think Zoe Stark is much better as a heel. I did not buy her as a agreed. Base. Agreed. Z three sixty. Thank you. I first I like that. Was, it looked cool as hell. Yeah, and she's. I mean, she's the muscle. She yeah. will work good as a heater behind Trish. Also, shout out to Becky's uh, Bruce Lee inspired gear. Yes. Yeah, as soon awesome. as she stepped in, like, holy shit, we got the bride tonight. What yep. the hell? Yeah, I'm like, somebody's getting their ass beat. Here yep. comes Becky Bride. The last what two minutes of that match, it was great. The, the finishing stretch was good. It makes sense from a booking standpoint because obviously trish is sticking around for a while she needed to get the first win she can brag about beating becky she can hold it over her head and then you can go from here drag it out till SummerSlam. yeah now that trish is sticking around i think she might want to get to uh, work on some agility drills or something because like i said it seemed like she went heavy on a bunch of spots and yeah and just maybe just nice. change up what she's doing a little bit yeah, yeah. You're a heel, or change you're a heel, yeah. be a little more heelish do a little more mat work or a little more hair pulling to gain you an advantage some something that's going to not require you to do these spots that aren't work and i think she's been around long enough and is savvy enough and hopefully i'd like to know who the agent was for this match because they need to do something different the next time these two are in the ring the high risk timing spots are not what they should be doing not at all because becky's supposed to be an ass kicker trish is a heel now so let her be dirty and underhanded right now i'd put her on some buddy landell tapes there you go Dolly yeah. Blanchard comb her I mean, hair and then crash into the back of Zoe's car. Do <laughs> cocaine on the steering wheel. So I was just about to say how much cocaine's about to be ingested. Drew Drew put anybody on the Buddy Landell tapes. <laughs> do you wish Trish how much cocaine you do? <laughs> All right, so we go from Becky and Trish to Gunther and Mustafa Ali, and holy shit, what a fucking match! Mustafa I- Ali really showed me a lot star making performance just like eo's main roster star making performance last month or earlier in the month i guess it was this was ali i thought twice maybe three times he was taking the belt home because gunther already has the modern day record so i thought gunther's getting ready to go after seth i thought that's where we were going and they had me they had me multiple times yep i had made the comment in the preview show i was like this could be mustafa's rocky balboa moment and i really thought think it was like yeah. he fucking fought his ass off man and he yeah, close but he really showed out yeah that powerbomb spot was good i thought oh man they're gonna do a straight up sunset flip powerbomb and when mustafa comes down and is standing i'm like fuck gunther's gonna pummel him now right and get down and nope he just walks out and fucking plants gunther i'm like god damn now come on and then he hit the 450 yeah that's like holy shit this is it oh, yeah. what a match 
I mean, it was better than any right to be for an eight minute match. And, you know, at least Mustafa got to show up for, you know, and and have a star making performance there. So, right. And I mean, he put in the work. Gunther always has on his fucking working boots. Always. always. You're always going to get a tremendous performance from him and take nothing away from Mustafa Ali because that dude's always been good since I've seen him. Yep. As part of WWE, guy can fucking go. But the mix of styles, power versus the speed, they told a very good story of Mustafa trying to strike quick and use the advantages he had and stay out of Gunther's reach because Gunther's got them long fucking Frankenstein arms. You know, you see him standing there with his arms down to the side, and it's like they go to his fucking ankle. They look so long, and he's got that advantage. And it's just like it's like Kevin McHale. You know what I mean? Scratch his knees without bending over. Yeah, and it's like goddamn. I mean, he's doing everything he can to get away from him. I mean, he's laying in chop, and then Gunther's killing him with those fucking clotheslines, just yep. clubbing him. Man, what a match! I, mean, I want to see it again. Give I, I, look I, him again. At money in the bank. Yeah, they were able to get Mustafa over and not, and Gunther lost none of his aura. Right. It was like EO's at uh, Backlash, a star making performance. There's two shows in a row where I was like, this person has arrived. That match was as good as, as any match. I mean, that could be a main event quality match on most pay per views. That's how good it was. Even though it was only eight and a half minutes, like Spiker said, that was eight and a half minutes with 15 minutes of action packed into that time frame. Yeah, that was like the David Von Erich of matches because he did like seven. <laughs> Years of living in 27 years. Michael mentioned Gunther with like the Kevin McHale reach. All I can imagine is now Gunther talking like Joel McHale, but that's another story. <laughs> I can um, see Gunther starring in a, a community reboot. Dude, that was pretty awesome. Him, him just Jeff chops everybody. <laughs> him chopping everybody Pierce, in community. Pierce says something stupid. Chop. Chop. <laughs> chop. I'm picturing Gunther as like a, a really mean Gomer Pyle. Chop. <laughs> it's like a really mad, stern Jim Neighbors. Gunther Pyle, USMC. Gunther Pyle. <laughs> and Gunther has now run the gamut of, okay, power wrestling. He's broad. He's power wrestling. He makes a great base for the small flippy dudes. He did it. I think we discussed it on the previous show. Him and Ricochet had some great matches for that reason. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, once he catches you, you're fucked. But now we've got Oscar versus Bianca, and this was another great fucking match. Agreed. I gotta say, the creative finish for Oscar blowing, having the tape on her fingers and blowing the mist onto her hand and getting Bianca in the eyes. Fucking yep. genius. I don't know who came up with that. And maybe it's been done in Japan and I don't know, but that was fucking brilliant. Like I remember Muda doing that at times where he'd just like keep sticking his taped fingers in his mouth and he'd give like a chop to the throat, but he would never go to the eyes. You know, he would always go to the throat He'd right. like on his fingers and pull them out and he'd give like the Abdul the butcher, like upside down right. Graham throat thrust chop thing <laughs> yeah i was like i don't know what that what's that supposed to do but i, I remember the, seeing that but i don't ever remember him like doing that and then going to the eyes right and i was just so creative and the ref can't see it you're up in the fucking kod and you just reach there with your hand and rub the shit in your eyes and blind her and fuck her up that's great evil heel great athletic match too leading up to yeah. an awesome finish yeah, yeah. they worked so well together yeah, and like we had talked in the preview it was like it seems logical for them to want to keep Bianca rolling, but you know, you've turned Asuka heel. You've got to do something with it now because they've already done right. And here it is. She won it. Yeah. So, and Asuka, she is faster than every other woman on the roster, but Bianca can keep up with her. And that's, I think that's why they work so well together. You watch Asuka against a lot of the other women, she's waiting on yeah. them. Because they're 
quarter step behind or something. Bianca was with her step for step the whole way. She was pretty good for an old lady. <laughs> Damn screw, you totally beat me to the punch. <laughs> I didn't even think to make that joke. Damn it. This is why Bianca is better than Charlotte. A, she's better in the ring. B, they know when Bianca can lose to Austin still look good, as opposed to when Charlotte should have did it, and they did Okay, and I know you have huge issues with Charlotte. The issues with Charlotte, they're, it's not her, though. It's how she's pushed. I know. It's not like she's got the fucking pencil. She's just the one writing this shit in. So They have a hard one for her because of her last name. but I know, and, and she's fucking great. She really is very, very good in the ring. I think there's so much backlash to her online and everywhere because of her name and because the company over pushes her that she could have been on the people say she's overrated, but she's actually underrated segment with Chrissy a couple of weeks ago because people call her overrated and say she's terrible when they just don't like the way she's booked. And that's fine, but she can go. So she's so consistent. With her performances. Yes. yes. You don't but get bad matches out of Charlotte. Here's the issue with that, though. And I mean, it's it's the way I bet Bianca will not lose a step. And they were probably worried that Charlotte would. And I guarantee you that Bianca will not after losing Nasca because Bianca's over as fuck. And we know because she, she's carried that division for, what, a year? Something like that? Right. So, I mean, it, it makes sense. I, I'm just making case for I think she is the best woman wrestler on the roster right now. Bianca? Yes. Yeah. At least I, I'm fine with that. I mean, it's it's her or Asuka. Yes. They're, they're at the top. Rhea is right behind them. Yes. Improving all the time, too. And I don't know if you guys, it's been a few years now, but for a couple of years in a row, right around 4th of July, I think, usually, on, it was when it was still on the network before they moved to Peacock. They used to do an NXT combine, and they would show the men and the women in NXT doing uh, different lifts, different like sprint races, like the three-cone shuttle and all that kind of stuff, showing athleticism and everything. Did you guys ever watch any of that? The years I they did it? I did. Bianca... <laughs> She would come up to a thing and be like, what do I need to win? Like, there was one where they were doing like the seated rowing machine thing. And I think Xia Lee had been on and Xia Lee put up a really good number. Bianca's like, what'd she do? They told her, she's like, okay, no problem. And sits down and just fucking busts it out. And she did that with everything. I don't think people can understand what an elite level athlete she really is. She doesn't look as physically big as Rhea, but I guarantee she's probably every bit as strong, if not stronger. She's fast. She's quick. And there's a difference between fast and quick. She's both. I mean, she's just unreal when it comes to what her potential is. It's off the charts. Say those press slam spots that she was doing with Sasha and mm-hmm. Becky and just everybody. It seemed like uh, it was just amazing examples yeah. of power. And then yeah. uh, she did one. Was it a WrestleMania where she had the injured arm was holding her up with one arm? <laughs> yeah. Or they, she did that with EO too at Backlash where yes. it kind of looked like she dropped EO on her face, but luckily she didn't. But yeah, I mean, just the things she can do, I don't think she's really completely scratched the surface of her abilities yet. No. No. no I mean, did I hear correctly that Dakota Kai is on the shelf for a little while? So this might give EO a chance to shine. Yeah. Dakota's out for the rest of the year with a torn ACL. Okay. That's, that's, what, that's what I thought I heard. Which is too bad. Yeah. But this might give EO the chance to shine being as now her, so. her and Bailey and damage control. Yo, 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 yo. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Every time you mention it, I just think of that 
terrible joke, and I keep going back to it. Yo, 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 yo. So then we follow up that tremendous women's match with Rhea versus Natty in exactly what it needed to be. Yep. Rhea stomping her out in a minute 10 to just continue to establish her dominance. And nothing against Natty. She's been around for a long time. She's wrestled the most women's matches, I think they said. Great for her. She's enhancement talent. And this was what it needed to be because Natalia's got the powerlifting background. So on paper, okay, she might be able to give Rhea a run for her money strength-wise. And then you just let Rhea squash her like she needs to. That Riptide's an awesome finish, too. Yeah, it is. This is this is my obligatory mention that Rhea can be my, mom, my <laughs> mommy anytime she wants. I know I have to mention every time she's brought up or every time we do a show preview or recap, I have to mention it. Contractually <laughs> obligated. And it turns out my wife's not even mad. She goes, no. She goes, I She goes, I have no problem with this. I'm like, yes, even better. She goes, she goes I get it. And also, the best thing, I, I don't know if it's the best thing, but the thing about the squash Oh, hold on here. The best thing about the squash was that it happened on Natalia's 41st birthday. I don't know. To me, the best part of it was Dom talking shit. <laughs> you know, he is like Corey on the commentary, too. Am I the only one that thinks it looks like Dom's? He's putting on some, some muscle. He looked yeah. bigger. I like, I think he's. He's been eating at Pizza Inn. He's filling out yeah, for Pizza Out. It's Pizza Inn. Yeah. Maybe he's been pushing some pizza. Who knows? Got a shot of allocations. <laughs> Dominic has grown so much. He's actually grown on me. And I, a year ago, I didn't think this was going to be a thing. But here he is. And I love Judgment Day. I think they're awesome, which means they're probably going to get split up somewhere along the line. I don't know. I think they're going to stick around for a while. I'm probably wrong on this. I thought they should have given the belt to Finn to start with. Finn needs to take the belt off of Rollins by no later than Survivor Series. Agreed. And then let them be, let that be the challenge for Cody is going through Judgment Day to get to and that title. So speaking of Mr. Rhodes, I believe we're up to Cody and Brock now, aren't we? We are. We are the second main event or third, depending on how you feel about Gunther and Ali of the night. This match was better than their first one. I and it, it told a good story. The whole the whole thing of trying to keep Brock away from that arm. Yes. And and Cody ended up landing on the arm a couple of times in attempts to keep Brock away from it. And yeah. you know it's doing damage and discovering yeah. the titanium plate is can do damage. Yes. Yeah, the way exactly. they sold that psychology there. Dusty's boot that protected his ankle, but it was also a weapon. <laughs> right. I mean it's funny. Do you guys remember when Owen Hart did it and it's like the worst thing in the world? Now all of a sudden that Cody has one, it's like, Oh wait, now he can do it. He's using the cast as a weapon. Well, I saw I don't think it was anything we said on when we did the preview just because we hadn't seen Brock breaking his arm or whatever. But I saw somebody say somewhere that Cody needed to go all Bob Orton Jr. and just beat Brock with the cast. Well, he did. <laughs> and he did. And, you know, it worked out really well. I don't know that Aaron Grafton would stare across glory days at Cody Rhodes quite like he did Bob Orton or the lobster roll on his plate. But shout out to American Coleslaw Machine. <laughs> He, he he might actually stare at Brandy Rhodes like that. I don't know if he'd stare at Cody like that. Well, who could blame him? True. Right. But no, I mean, that match had me literally jumping out of my seat when Cody kicked out of the F5. I jumped up. I'm like, oh, shit. Because, <laughs> again, that kind of made you the belief of Cody might actually pull this one out against Brock. And props to Brock for going along with it. Brock can sell, man. Yes. And did Brock get busted open again? Or what happened there? Did I miss something there? Or did he get somebody was bleeding? 
clean something. He still had a little bit of a scab or something there from the last one. Yeah, I think so. The residual. You had the per- you had a great match. You had a perfect ending. And you you know how I know the ending was perfect? Was the Saudi crowd came in cheering Brock like a hero. At the end, they were booing the shit out of him. Yeah. That, to me, told all you needed to know about Cody's performance in that match. Well, and when we were watching it, I think it was Amy said something about how they were booing Cody. And I said, well, look at him. He's like the embodiment of America Yeah, in his ring attire and everything. Yeah, they're going to boo him. But then through the ring work and the story they told and the psychology of the match, they turned it around and got the crowd where they needed him to be. I mean, they had him in the palm of their hands by the end of the match. Here's to Brock. Not a lot of his matches had it, but when Brock knows how to sell and use psychology, he's dead on. Like this oh. match and the last match with Cody were both... Both perfect, you know, thinking, okay, this makes sense, this makes sense type deal. So now I'm very excited for this third match. And I think, you know, in Brock's defense, I don't think there's anything he's done that keeps him from doing that regularly. I think that was simply how Vince wanted to book him. No, and and I'm not saying that it wasn't. um, And I just saw a TikTok. It was from, I think, one of the Austin uh, Broken Skull sessions with John Cena, where Cena talks about how maybe it was an interview somewhere else Cena was doing. I think that's what it was. And he was talking about how when the whole Suplex City thing with him started, Austin and Brock had talked. Oh, yes, yes. And they're like, hey, maybe you should go in and just suplex him. And Brock comes and tells Cena, and he's like, absolutely, we should do that. Heck yeah. You should just destroy me like that. And so for the times that Cena held people down like Wade Barrett, which I just can't, I have trouble forgiving that. As great as Peacemaker was, it didn't quite make up for ruining the Nexus angle by not being willing to him. I remember being uncomfortable watching that main event and watching him just dismantle Cena. And I was so anti-Cena that he's like hitting like 12 Germans in a row. And I'm like, okay, this is kind of, this is kind of sad now because Cena is like dead. Right. But I thought it was interesting to hear. Stop the murder on TV. <laughs> Now, one thing I noticed, and Mac and I were talking about it today, actually, was at the end of the match when Brock is staring back at Cody. I think he's getting with a handshake. I think he has earned Brock's respect at this point. I think the third match, just because the way Brock was staring at him, Brock's like, oh, shit. I can see that. It doesn't feel forced. Like, it's feeling natural. Right. they've had because Cody never said I quit and right. people online are like oh fuck here we go again no it works it would have gone over like shit in AEW but it works here and it works right. perfectly here and it's all about how the story is told yes Drew I saw some guys on Twitter today arguing about how it's impossible to pass out from a Kimura and I, I was just like really have they okay have they ever actually a whole lot of those guys need to get laid <laughs> I want to see Brock Lesnar bust their arm up and then put them in a Camara lock. Yep. And let's see. Yeah. Let's, let's yeah. see. That's it's, you can pass out from any type of pain. I mean, I got professional right now. I want to write upstairs and interrupt what she's doing and ask her. I'm sure she'll tell you the same thing. It just boggles my mind that like, I'm going to go get online right now and just so, argue the fuck out of that with somebody. <laughs> it's like, I don't understand the mindset. Of that shit. But Cody left AEW and didn't stay with them, and he wanted Pyro, and he's a bastard man. I don't know. I, I got nothing. The Pyro Mania, come on. <laughs> he is the baby face they wanted Roman to be. And unlike Roman, people are behind him, and they need to stay right. on that. And I think and they will. It's going in the right direction. It is. They're firing all right. You have a true baby face that everyone is getting behind. So, speaking right. of baby faces, because I'm excellent with these transitions, main event time. <laughs> Main event number four, number three. Holy shit, was it great. 
it was special even before the match started to see Sami Zayn come out the way he did and do the ring intro was something yes. for all the, for all yes. the re- real world stuff going on to see him do that and see people on their feet cheering him. He might have got the biggest pop of the night. Yeah. Let's let's just be real. And knowing the real world behind why he wasn't at any Saudi show, him and KO getting the pops that they did and just seeing the genuine reaction on his face was incredible even before they started. Yep. Hundred percent, and it was three and a half minutes before anything actually happened in the match. But you didn't care because oh. Roman, <laughs> Sammy wanted Roman, and Roman's like, "Really, really?" Which Roman Reigns is the, the MVP, and I know we've talked about it before. He proved once again why he is the man during this match. This is one of those main events where, to me as a fan, it's like they gave you the cake and you get to eat it too. Everything that you want a main event to be, it just delivered on. Every level. I mean, the story, I mean, the match itself was great. Oh, yeah. The story they were telling you've built up forever now. And I mean, Sammy hitting the Superman punch on Roman was pretty great. Then Roman's like, no, bitch, is how we do it. It was pretty great. It's just, again, the little thing, Mm -hmm. the little things going through the match. And it was like, whoever laid this out, this is a masterclass in tag team wrestling. I like this better than I like the Uso match at WrestleMania. That's how much I enjoyed this match. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would agree with that. Because, again, you had the the true air of unpredictability. You know, you had the biggest star and you had the what ifs everywhere yep. that could have you had like a million different. OK, what if scenarios here? And you haven't had that in a match in a while. I and I can't believe I didn't think about this before we did it, but I think it came to me during the week. If you really wanted to up the stakes, you could have did a winner takes all match and had Roman put his belt up in the tag team title match. Whoever pins Roman gets the world title belt because then you have Roman sweating bullets and he's like, okay, Solo, you can do the thing. And Solo just kind of stares at him. You know, you have something like that where you could build that into a thing. This has been a fucking masterclass in how to book a long-term angle. I'm sure a lot of the credit goes to Paul Heyman. This stuff has had his fingerprints on it forever. And it's masterfully done and it was perfect. I mean, we speculated on the different ways that the bloodline was going to cost Roman the match. I don't think in anything we said did we have Jimmy Uso super kicking Roman twice. After they super kick Solo and then Roman flipped shit. And that was so perfect because at first it's like, oh, okay, they're going to line up, do a double super kick, Sammy's going to duck and they're going to hit Solo. And then Jimmy hits Sammy and then Jay hits Sammy. You're like, nope, fuck it. They're taking the tag titles off of them tonight, aren't they? And then they go for the double, and that's when they hit solo. And the camera work, which sometimes misses these kind of things, you see Roman's face. He only sees them kick solo. He didn't see them kick Sammy twice. He didn't see Sammy fall down. He sees Solo eat two super kicks from the Usos and gets in the ring to get in their ship. His holy shit face was legendary. Yeah. And the and then the, like the the aftermath, like I expected Jay to do it, but Jimmy and Jay, and then you think about it, it all ties together with everything Jimmy has done has been tied to Jay. And it comes back around to line when Jimmy's shoving Jay, Jay's got the PTSD look on his face, like, oh my God, this is happening again. He's going to beat both our asses. And Jimmy's like, I'm your brother. He's not. And I just did what you should have done a long time ago. Well, and I read something today 
or maybe it was last night, I don't remember, that said, just kind of like you did about the PTSD, triggers Jay because Jay's like, this is where it all started, was yep. me trying to protect my injured brother and having to bow down to Roman to keep us in the family and keep the peace. And I have had to be subservient to him for this whole time. I mean, it's almost like Stockholm Syndrome yep. to an extent. It's going to come in the next month, I think, where something happens and Jay has to step in to protect Jimmy. Or maybe maybe they have to step in to protect the younger brother Solo. And that's when we're going to get main event Jay Uso back and he's take those belts off of Roman. So here's where it continues to be interesting because Solo is the wild card in this whole scenario. What happens with him? You know, the Usos, I mean, you know, the bloodline was splitting. Saturday, it shattered. So you have Solo going on his own because he's like, he looks at the Usos and says, fuck both you guys. Then he's like, Roman, this is your fault. Or does Roman make an example out of Solo and beast the shit out of Solo and says, you guys are next. I mean, there is a, a lot of different ways you can go with it. I think we get Solo and Roman versus the Usos at Money in the Bank. And that is where Solo he runs afoul of Roman. He loses the match. He accidentally hits Roman something. Roman snaps and goes after Solo. And that's where Jay steps in and saves his little brother and stands up to Roman. Finally, after all this time, after Roman had beat him down and threatened to, to hurt Jimmy worse, and he's going to snap. He's going to do what needs done to protect. So by that, by that proxy, if we follow your line of booking, which is definitely not out of the realm of possibility, does Jay pin Roman in the tag team match? And that incenses Roman enough to give him the title shot at SummerSlam? Uh, possibly. Or Solo gets pinned and that costs Roman the match and he's mad. And Jay steps in and says, no more of this. But I mean, essentially, uh, you just did that, though, too. Well, you had Solo lose, but Solo didn't take the brunt of any because it wasn't his fault. Yet. Have you submitted a resume to WWE yet, Mike, to write for them? <laughs> Shit, man. No, because I'm not moving to Connecticut. I don't think they'd let me do it from here. It's modern day. Man, you can work from home. I, well, it should be, but yeah, I don't think they do it that way. Mike would have to go work in a tower, and all you'd hear from his office is, you people. Yeah, exactly. They could give him the old Hogan. This don't work for me, brother. I got to work from home. <laughs> like, what Mike said is definitely something along those lines is not out of the realm of possibility. I think Friday night for his thousand day celebration is going to be very interesting, but we're not going to see it because we're going to be in Lutz, Florida. Um, I think that's probably where they set up the tag match for Money in the Bank because you'll have Solo and Roman and Heyman celebrating and you'll have the Usos coming out to wreck it. Yeah. That's, that's my guess. But Speaking of Money in the Bank, do we have any uh, participants in the, the match yet? They're doing that tonight, I think. I, I think they're starting the qualifiers tonight. I think I saw Ricochet beat Miz. Okay. Yeah, I think Ricochet beat Miz, and I think the other one was Shinsuke and Bronson Reed, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Hopefully Bronson. As much as I love Shinsuke, hopefully Bronson Reed wins that one, because that's yeah, the kind cool. of big dude you want. In a, he can work as a base, and he can also do some fucked up shit. No offense to Shinsuke, he's kind of had his day. If they were going to push him again, they've kind of... Right, they would have by now. Bronson's never done a Money in the Bank match, at least as far as I can recall. Right, right. I think he did North American title yes. ladder match, maybe in NXT, but that's, that's like smaller scale. Yep. Yes. So overall, I definitely give this show an A plus the PLEs I'm, have been on fire yep. ever, ever since triple H took over the book last year, everything's just gotten better and better. And since Mania, people want to complain about Cody losing at Mania. Look where we are. The story they've told since then, they did not do this wrong. They didn't do it wrong by Sammy not winning at Elimination Chamber. They had a story and they stuck with it. And it's a good one. Sammy not winning was more of a sentimental thing, but storyline, it made sense. 
sense. And that's where I'm at with it. Would I love to see Sammy win? Absolutely. But do I expect it? No. That didn't make sense narratively. And that's the difference. I would have been happy if Sammy got the pinfall on Roman in the tag team match on Saturday. I thought they might have pulled the trigger on that there for a minute, but... But I think it was fine the way they did it. Oh, agreed. Totally. Again, there's a million ways it could have gone with it and would have been okay, and the one they went with was probably the absolute best one. Right. You know, I mean, if you want to pull the Triple H pulling the Doctor Strange, okay, I saw 14,000 realities, and here's the one that wins. This is the best one, yeah. So, I mean, props to them, and as you said, if Heyman's behind it, which wouldn't surprise me, because Heyman's got a hell of a mind on him. So, and I think he should be head of the class for WrestleMania 49 next year for the hall of fame but sure for sure no definite a plus on that show like beyond a shadow that that and takeover like there was no you know even the weakest part of night of champions was still decent it still ended fine yeah it was just a lot of shit to get through it was like like andy dufresne in shawshank yep we had to get through a little bit of shit to get out on the other side but when when it came out the other side it was fine Uh, it's been even close to the longest day of our lives (laughs) <laughs> How do we end up doing on those pickums, Mike? Uh, we went undefeated, Spiker. You and I, clean sweep, seven and zero. Oh. Bill was three and three, and I have Drew down for four and two because I don't know if he picked the winner in the Rhea Natty match. Although I would say he was five and two because I don't think he was picking Natty there. Yeah, I think we're, I'm pretty confident I was saying Rhea there. Yeah, that was one we didn't know about at the time. So, well, we're gonna say that you said Rhea, even if you didn't yep. actually say Rhea. We're saying Rhea for you, right? Because that's what friends do. That's right. That's what friends are for. I thought was, I saw that in the chat where the match was announced and I'd put a thumbs up on it or something. Coming soon to uh, Protown Records, Drew sings the hits included on there. Is that's what friends are for? Just pulled that from an episode last night. You got a friend in me. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that wraps up a great weekend of wrestling. Now, Spiker, why don't you tell us about what's coming up next on this episode? A couple days ago, I had a great chance to Skype with our good friend Barry Rose about the upcoming final edition of the CWF Legends Fan Fest, which is happening a few short days from now, from as we're recording. And, I mean, Barry and I could talk for hours. It's a great interview. Everybody's going to really enjoy it. Barry has said in time we want it back, we just need to holler at him. So I definitely think we're going to take him up on it once he completes this next stage of his life and once he winds down from Fan Fest, which he does talk a little bit about during the course of the interview how hard this one was to set up let's go now to the chris spiker interview with barry rose father the brainchild whatever you'd like to refer to it as but i know we couldn't do a fan fest episode without talking to our good friend everybody knows him i call him uncle barry he's a great uncle now to jj mr barry rose barry how are you i'm doing great and i appreciate it too and i've listened to a couple of the segments with the discussions of fan fest and i love it i will tell you and maybe i'll even give you an exclusive if we don't take it first over at breaking kayfabe with bowdrin and barry but this one this one fan fest has been a monumental challenge for a variety of reasons. And they all have challenges. But, you know, I go back to our first one, which was six years ago, actually. It was uh, 2017. I want to say it was June 3rd, 2017. So kind of ironic, our first and our last fan fest fell on June 3rd. And we had a cancellation on that fan fest. It was Manny Fernandez. And Manny was interesting because Manny contacted me maybe three weeks before the show and said, hey, I'd love to come. At that point, everybody was, you know, lined up. We had gotten all of our talent. We had been advertising. So I had zero dollars left for Manny. And I told him that. And he said, oh, 
I don't care. I just want to come and uh, I want to see Steve Kern and, you know, Jerry Briscoe guys I haven't seen in 20 and 30 years. And I said, Manny, that would be great. I said, why don't we do this? Why don't we get you a vendor's table and you can sell stuff, whether it's, you know, photos, autographs, et cetera, since I can't, you know, being cheap, since I can't pay you, how about we set it up? And he said, that would be great. So I got a message from Manny less than a week before the show, six days saying, I, I'm not making this up either, saying, I slammed the garage door on my finger and I won't be able to come. And I said, oh, you know, what am I going to say? Right. So (laughs) we're not paying you. What am I going to say? So I, yeah. So I was like, all right, I understand. He goes, but I hope we can do this again in the future. And it struck me as odd is that here is a guy, he's a tough guy, Manny Fernandez, you know, he's a legit tough guy. And he slammed a garage door on his finger and was like, I can't make it. You know what? I'm going back in the old days where if your arm was broken, you'd, you'd tape it up, put it in a sling and you'd still get in the ring. So it struck me as a little odd, but really what was interesting was Manny canceled, though he was a vendor. I don't think anyone noticed. And we didn't have a cancellation until shit, until I think 2019, the last one when we had to replace Kendall Wyndham. So it was really odd. I think we've had three cancellations ever in this event alone. We've already had three. So it's been challenging and there is a real story, Chris. And unfortunately, I can't go into details now. Now, but there is a con man that really tried to fuck with this fan fest in a big way. And I don't think it was intentional trying to fuck with us. I think he's just, I probably should wait until I can present all the facts. But yeah, there is a story to this one that if I don't share it on Breaking Kayfabe, hopefully I can come here and I can share it here. Hey, I mean, you're always welcome here, brother. And on the note of Breaking Kayfabe, congratulations are in order. You guys are wrapping up a great six-year run. I mean, as I said, that was huge in stories of my life. You and Jeff were there every week while I was going through some of the most important parts of my life, getting married, Christine's pregnancy, everything like that. So you guys were kind of like the soundtrack at point, always entertaining for an hour, two hours every week. And you guys didn't miss a week in almost 300 episodes. Yeah, and Jeff and I were talking yesterday about this, and we actually recorded, being that I'm, I'm headed off to Florida in just a couple of days for the Fan Fest, I'm driving down as I always do with Ozzy and going to spend a few extra days and enjoy the weather and set myself up for my future home. But Jeff and I were talking, and, and you know, there are certain aspects of the show. You know, you go back to six years ago when we started this thing, and first off, we didn't really have a very clear agenda of, you know, it isn't like we had a list of a hundred things we felt we were going to do. And I, I think the only thing we had on the table was we were going to do a match of the week and then maybe do a top five countdown. And the top five, I think, went away after the first year, which was really great if you go back and listen to those early episodes. And some of them were beyond terrible. But the fact that we would have a top five and Jeff and I would go, what is that number three or number four? Like, it's only five <laughs> fucking numbers. And, and we could. <laughs> and, and this wasn't a one off. That was the best part. This went on for like a month where we're like, is that two or four? for Jeff. I don't know where the fuck we are. So uh, <laughs> slightly embarrassing in some ways. Uh, but we were we were starting to, and I think we're going to do this too. I think we were, were going to, on one of the last episodes, kind of just talk about maybe certain aspects of the first 299 you know, and we're, we'll talk about what we all went through personally, things like not being able to count to five, how my voice changed <laughs> when I hit, when I hit puberty, if you remember in the old days, yeah, how my voice changed. So we're going to go back. We're going to kind of talk, I think, at some point and, and talk about some of our favorite memories and, and the aspects of it. But it really is interesting. And 
if you had told me six years ago when we started this, what it truly would mean, I don't think either of us would have been able to answer that. I, I would not have been able to answer that honestly and correctly, which is interesting because I've always been a guy that listens to like talk radio and stuff. I listen to you know a lot of South Florida. I still listen on a daily basis, whether it's Tampa or Orlando. And when I say talk radio, it's more goofy, you know, like Howard Stern entertainment radio, not like deep political discussions which I would never fucking do. But it is interesting. And I do think the true legacy of the show is the relationships that have been built. And I, I don't think they all formed directly in the brothership group. And I, you know, I get that. I think the mothership is, but as they migrated over to us and as they're migrating over to the other ship right now, you can just kind of see it. But I, the legacy of the relationships, and you know, I spoke with uh, Russ Rollerson yesterday, Shard Johnson, right? And the, you know, he's facing massive struggles. You know, I first off, my deep condolences on on the loss of his mother. Absolutely, uh, the poor guy is in the hospital, serious health issues heart issues. And during this happening, he loses his mother and he can't even help plan the the funeral. We were talking, but really when you stop and you think about it, that, you know, two and three years ago, we weren't talking to Russ, right? We weren't talking to Shard. And, and you know, now it's to the point that people are stopping by the hospital and calling him. And it really is incredible. And I'll always be very realistic about our podcast. I, it's never been, you know, I, I'm, there's, there's no delusionment here. You know, this is not one of those kind of things. We are what we are. You know, it's, this is not grand entertainment by any form, but the fact that relationships have been built where people in a world that's kind of fucked up right now, right? Like it's pretty much fucked up. You've got relationships where people are taking care of each other. And that is really the most incredible thing to me. Oh yeah. The fan fest. I mean, the first one I went to was June of 2019 with Ricky Steamboat and it was really catching on with members of the brothership. Yes. But it seems like now like every segment we've done about this is listeners will find out has been described as now it's become a family reunion. You're seeing yep. people who you only see once a year or twice. I haven't seen some of these people in a year and a half, you know, it's going to be like catching up with old friends. You're going to sit around and you're going to be able to talk to people and catch up on things. Obviously everything's changed now for, for some of us, you know, just catch up with like Pete Letterberg and everybody. It's awesome because it feels like you've missed it, but it's like, you might not have seen these people in a year and a half, but you catch up like you just talked to him yesterday. And that is a truly magical, I mean, as somebody who's done conventions forever, nerd conventions, everything like that, I've never felt that connection to where you can sit around with somebody all night, you know, me and Phil Khan sitting there drinking Crown Royal to two o'clock in the morning, just bullshitting about anything. And I think that must make you feel really good. It does. And it's, you know, again, even when we started the Fan Fest, it was, you know, like, okay, what are we going to do? And and we had some ideas. And, you know, the first Fan Fest, first off, the first two didn't even take place at the hotel. They took place in a local, uh, I think it was a VFW hall, or if it wasn't VFW, and I'm pretty sure it was, it was something really similar to it. It had to be VFW. And it was like an old school wrestling building, like the air didn't work good, a lot of fans going, the American flags are everywhere. Everywhere, but there was a certain charm to it, but we really didn't have, you know, it was like, all right, we'll do this catered dinner and Q&A with Jody Hamilton, the original assassin. We never did the 
morning Q&A. And then we were doing instead, <laughs> instead, this was funny, instead of the after party, we were doing a cocktail thing. And it just, it that didn't quite click. Like you could clearly see that wasn't working. And we retooled it for the second one. And by the third one, I think is when we really started with three different events besides the actual signings and photographs. But the common denominator, if you look at it, and over the last couple of weeks, I've been posting testimonials from people about FanFest, and I'm sure you've seen them online. And, and Chris, I can ask you now, I'm waiting for yours, so bring it on, Daddy. But uh, <laughs> I've been looking for testimonials because the truth is a testimonial from somebody you you trust is probably the greatest form of advertising. And the common denominator in all of those testimonials, and I probably have put up two dozen so far, each one will say it. It's the welcoming hospitableness. Is that a word? Hospitableness? Uh, I don't know if that's a word. Yeah, I don't know. The, the, the hospitality of and how welcoming everyone is to everyone else and getting to see people. And it's almost like, you know, the wrestlers in some ways have become secondary to the fact of everyone getting together. And there, those are those, you know, I sat at an event, I forget which one it was. I want to say it was the one right now. Nah, it was probably even earlier, but there was one maybe midway through and it was around midnight and we were in the lobby and I think we were all under the influence as high as kite. And it was before Bugsy's book had came out. I had read Bugsy's book. I had gotten an advanced copy and I'm relaying a story about Bugsy and Dusty Rhodes to four or five people. And we sat there and I just remember that conversation we all had with each other. And it was, that to me was a highlight. It was like the Pat Patterson thing, which, you know, taking place in the hotel lobby, which everyone will tell you that was there. That's yes. that's a highlight. The Ricky Steamboat, and you know, you mentioned Ricky Steamboat, and if I in my head, if I start to go through things, incredible. I, I think the Ricky Steamboat may have been, as a storyteller, he may have been the best dinner guest we ever had. And they've all been good. It's not like, you know, it's just that one with all the emotion that he put forth, I thought was incredible. Jody Hamilton at the first one. And that was so cool. So again, we didn't have really a clear idea. We were just doing. And we have Jody Hamilton, who's going to do the dinner Q&A, and his son, Nick Patrick, was there with him. And at that point, Bugsy McGraw, the late Tony Marino, Cuban assassin, and I want to say somebody else was there. And they said, can we stay around as well and have dinner and stay up on the stage? And we're like, of course. We, you know, that's, of course yeah. we can. So that was pretty cool. Actually having Tony Marino at our shows, uh, we had him at a show or two was actually pretty cool. And, you know, I, I look back at it and these things were designed really twofold. It was never designed to make me any money. It was designed because it was born out of frustration of going to other fan fest where I felt there was no respect for the person spending money. I'm fortunate, you know, I've had, I've been working my life and I've been able to save money and I've got some, you know, from savings and, but a lot of people don't, a lot of people, they work, you know, if they live paycheck to paycheck. So when they take their hundred dollars or their $300 and they go to a fan fest, I believe these people should be catered to. I believe since they're the ones spending the money, we should bend over backwards to ensure that everybody has a good time, not basically yank them in and out of line, give them a 15 to 30 second meet and greet. It's disrespectful. So 
my frustration with seeing this taking place at other fan fests, and worse, that promoters were encouraging that kind of behavior really irritated me. So I was determined to do something different. And then on the flip side, I'm self-serving. You know, I'm the biggest. When somebody says, oh, there'd be a lot of marks here today. I'm like, dude, I'm the biggest mark in the room. I don't, yep. don't, don't be yep. mistaken because I'm the one running the show that I'm not the biggest mark or biggest fan. I do this because I love it and I love what we get to do and what we get to experience. There's no other reason for it. With that, I got to tell you, I think I am most excited for this fan fest, primarily being able to sit with Steve Kern and Jerry Briscoe for an hour and talk about 50 years of friendship, talk about their, you know, they've been great friends in and out of the ring for fi- over 50 years. And for me, I grew up on CWF. So it's very easy for me, you know, when it's some, and I've known Jerry and Steve, you know, I've got photos with both as a child. I've known them both and Jerry, especially I've known him since the late seventies by name. Like, you know, we saw each other. That was it. And Steve, I've known for decades as well. So it's almost like my life in as far as wrestling and CWF is coming full circle. I get to sit with two guys that I saw wrestle hundreds of times that I'm so familiar with their careers in the state of Florida. And on the last fan fest that the labor of love, which is really what it's been, I get to share it with these two guys that are my idols. So I got to tell you that Q&A, I think it's going to be really, really special. I have not gotten to meet. Unfortunately, Steve Kern has not been into two of them, but everyone that I've heard has said he's incredible. He's very talkative. He's very friendly. I need to pick up his book. Actually, I'm going to try and get a copy of it from Amazon and try and read some of it before we get to the show. Having been with you and I can see the love, I know there were two instances having worked alongside you kind of as your gopher at the one I was at. But then I do remember back before my first one, me, you and Christine were getting ready to have dinner and you were a little bit behind because you were trying to get Bob Orton Jr. to replace Billy Jack Haynes, which I think worked out really well because you had Bob Orton Jr. who incredibly actually very pleasant guy. Yeah. And here's the other thing too. So with that, I I look back at that and I have mixed feelings about it. So one of the things I never wanted to do when I was starting the Fan Fest Uh, One of the things that bothered me was when somebody was clearly under the influence of something and promoters would put that person out there. And I always felt it was disrespectful all the way around. It was the celebrity or wrestler should not be under the influence if they're meeting fans. And then the promoter should know that. And and I'll, I'll tell you, this is exactly why, why Billy Jack got pulled. I uh, And I'll tell you the great Bob Orton story that went along with that. But so Billy Jack had come out of hiding. You know, all of a sudden, and this would go back, I'll say five years ago, I don't know exactly when, Billy Jack is a guy that had not been around at all. And all of a sudden, he's making public appearances. So he was at a show in Allentown, and I saw he was going to be there. And I was like, you know what? And my friend Nick Massey, uh, the captain, was there, actually with Leilani Kai and uh, Judy Martin, the Glamour Girls. And Nick said, do you want to come and work? And I said, sure. You know, and work just means hang around, you know? Yeah. So I was like, what? But Billy Jack was there. So I went up, I introduced myself. We talked about the concept. He was a very friendly guy and was very stable at that moment. You know, that was the key right there is that, you know, we've all seen Billy Jack, the crazy shit. He was very stable. So I said, you know, this is what we can do. And we were able to negotiate money and flights and all that. And we had a deal. We had a deal in place. And I felt good about it. And I was hopeful that 
I express this to them is that this crowd isn't really the crazy wrestling crowd. It's more people that remember Florida wrestling, I, yeah. which meant I was trying to say, Billy, cut the crazy shit and just try to fucking focus on Florida, right? Yeah. So we talked a few times. First off, highly intelligent guy. Never confuse the fact that he might be batshit crazy with the fact that this is a really, really bright guy. And we talked I'll say four or five. And I actually considered Billy a friend. We had formed a friendship and I would listen to his stories and I was just enamored. And some of the stories were, I got to tell you, batshit crazy, right? Like he was Vince McMahon's illegitimate son was one. It's, <laughs> what? Oh, yeah, yeah. Eddie Graham was a major coach. This is allegedly from Billy Jack Haynes. So let, let's make that very clear. <laughs> and this was in a private conversation. But the rumor was Eddie Graham was a cocaine dealer and would pilot his small plane and fly cocaine from the Bahamas to Tampa or Tampa, the Bahamas, one direction to the other. I don't know what it was, but Billy was insistent on a lot of this shit. And he had a lot of these really bizarre either takes on things or theories, but at the same time, they were compelling to some degree as well, right? Like it, there was, <laughs> like I would sit there and go, wow, this is really interesting. And I got to say also, he told that story, if you remember, that story about the kids being killed in Arkansas. Do you remember this story at all? It's a true story. So there was a story where there were these kids that had been killed near the train tracks in Arkansas. And uh, it was, I, I forget all the details, but it was kind of a really big story at the time that there were these, you know, these were unexplained. These were, these had not been solved. So it was two murders of these kids. And I want to say they were young kids. And Billy said it was related to cocaine because he was part of a, I guess, the cocaine deal that went bad. And these kids somehow stumbled on it and they had to kill them. Now, that's a really easy thing to say, right? And say, Billy, come on, you're out of, you know, you're you're yeah. in Arkansas, like, you know, come on. Well, lo and behold, if you go back and check WWF results, Billy Jack Haynes was in Arkansas the day these kids were killed because the wow. WWF was in town. Now, there's two ways to look at it. Either Billy is telling the truth, and I would say there's a possibility of it, or he's really bright enough to go research WWF results and see that he was in town that day <laughs> and attach himself to it. I don't know. It's all fucking weird. So he was a really interesting guy. So then he was at a fan fest in uh, New Jersey. It was called Mark Out at the Meadowlands, and it was being promoted by Captain Nick Massey. And he was brought in by a guy who is maybe one of the most well-known vendor promoters out there, which is Eric Sims. Really? And every exactly, and every uh, <laughs> Eric is a polarizing character. Yeah. I don't think he's the most horrible human being on the face of the earth, but yeah, you know where there's smoke, there's a little bit of fire. So Eric brought him in and Billy was there and Billy was not in his right mind. So he was slurring his words. His eyes were rolling back in his head. And I went up to Eric and I said, Eric, Billy doesn't look in good shape. And Eric's reply to me, ah, 
Eric's reply to me was, Billy's been doing a lot of shots this week and he's tired. So I was really perturbed by that response first off, because it was clearly a lie. And it was clear that a guy was profiting on another guy who was on drugs. And I have an issue with that. So I, I wasn't happy about that. At that point, Hannibal, this is where the Hannibal thing, this is where it all occurred. So Hannibal's at the event and Hannibal and I had a cordial relationship. I didn't like him. You know, he had actually physically struck an attendee at the second event with a chop. And we, we, we've told this story before. Yeah. Somebody went up to say goodnight to Kevin Sullivan. And I think the words were, gentlemen, I hate to interrupt. And uh, Hannibal then chopped this guy in the chest and said, well, don't. What? And uh yeah, but he's a dick. What? And he's yeah. he's another one that Hannibal and apparently it's two is you know, when he's not drinking, I guess he could be tolerable maybe. And when he's drinking, he becomes this asshole of a bully. Uh, and he had some legal issues last year, which was physical assault on a woman. I believe it was his girlfriend or wife. Yeah. Uh so you know, we can call it, yeah. So he's a piece of shit. We should say whether alcohol is involved or not. And Hannibal was there, but we were cordial. And I went up and I said, Hey, could you do me a big favor? Could you not film Billy today. He's a mess. He's whatever it is. Would you do me a big favor and just not film Billy as a favor to me and Penzer? And the truth was, he didn't owe me shit, I should say, but he and Penzer actually had a relationship. Penzer had done a series of interviews that he was paid for for Hannibal's channel in the early days. So that's going back five, six years ago. So there was a friendship and a, and a business relationship as well there. So I get home. I'm driving from the Meadowlands to my home. I've left. I'm a little concerned about Billy, but no, I get home, I get into my basement and I put up Facebook. And the first thing I see is a video from Hannibal and the video is Billy, just a complete fucking mess. So I call Penzer and I'm like, I said, Penzer, you got to see this video. I said, I have real concerns here. I said, but I asked Hannibal not to do this and he still went ahead and did it. This is going to hurt us. This guy looks really bad. So Penzer calls him. They get into a huge fight and they have a big falling out. To this day, they haven't spoken. That friendship is over or was over. And I don't know if it was a friendship or business. And Hannibal continues to push this. So with that, people are now seeing it and then tagging me along with it saying, hey, have you seen Billy Jack Haynes? So I now have two options. I can keep Billy Jack or I can get rid of Billy Jack. And I opted to get rid of Billy Jack because again, I'm not going to put somebody, you know, somebody's paying $200 a ticket to come down for a and I'm not going to put a guy who's fucking strung out and high as a kite out there. No. So I'm just not doing it. So I tell Penzer and Penzer goes, you do what you have to do. And I called Billy and I had to tell Billy Jack Canes that I was canceling his appearance, which was a lot of fun. I got to say it was interesting. First off, I was intimidated to do that. I won't lie, but he was very good with me and he was playing the wounded puppy as opposed to trying to be belligerent or threatening because I thought he, I thought he was going to threaten me. I thought for sure Billy's going to fucking, if I see you, I'm going to beat the fuck out of you or kill you. None of that. It was more like you're penalizing me because this guy put up a video. And I tried to tell him, well, the issue with the video going up was you appear to be under the influence. Billy then tried to tell me that he hadn't slept and was just tired. You know, I wasn't born yesterday. I was in my mid fifties when this took place. So I was well aware of what I was seeing. We hung up. Billy called me back twice that day, left me messages, which I still have, which actually I would even share. They're not bad that, you know, and put them up. And uh, that was the end of Billy. In hindsight, in some ways, I wish I could have made it work with Billy. The caveat for me was just really being high. 
and I just, I can't, you know, I'm not going to do it. It's just not something I can do. So with that, we had to come up with a replacement. Norton Jr. seemed like the right replacement. Where I had concerns with Bob, Bob is not a talkative guy. Bob is essentially a quieter, almost introverted guy. He's friendly and he's cordial, but he's a little reserved. And it's not a bad thing. It's just who he is. Yeah. So I had concerns with that. But I said, shit, if I can put he and Roop together, they were one of the best tag teams of the 70s that nobody outside of Florida and ICW ever saw. These two were out of control. They were fantastic. So we wound up being able to get Bob and having Bob there. So to have fun with that, we call Bob a week out maybe 10 days out. I forget exactly what the length of time. And Bob says, what do you mean, daddy? Bobby's got this really kind of rasp. That, that's a horrible Bob Orton Jr. impression, but he's got this kind of raspy voice. Daddy. And he calls every, he was the original calling everybody daddy before Fonzie started before it. Fonzie. And he goes, he goes, I'm not at that your show. You called and canceled two weeks ago. So we assured him that was, we did not call and cancel. But long story short, somebody had actually called Bob Orton Jr. Jr. claiming to be representatives with us and canceled his appearance there. My gut says it's the mouth breather from Canada. Who else yep. would do that? Who else would care and who oh. else would have any sort of agenda with it? So that would be my guess that it was uh, it was Hannibal that went ahead and did it. We were able to assure Bob that we had he was not canceled and that if he had any more of these phone calls or anything to reach out to only one of us directly. And that's how Bob Orton Jr. came about. Because I remember I was like, man, I don't know about him. He was actually very approachable, very talkative. I had just shown Christine the famous 83 angle with him and Flair in the baseball bat. And he told me a fun story about only working Flair once and he actually went over Rick. And Rick goes, what are you doing? Orton goes, sorry, dude, Vince wants me back. It was just like this fun kind of casual, more conversational that I thought. And for me, somebody who I grew up in the Northeast in Pennsylvania for 30 years of my life, for me, the fan fest are fun hearing stories. And, you know, you do a great job in the archives group. Hearing you guys talk about like Dusty Rhodes, Steve Kern, the Grams and everything to me is a great history lesson. And coming to these and hearing all these stories from people, you know, hearing the Baron talk, you know, this is great history for somebody who loves the sport like Eddie, but was never exposed to stuff like this. And that's part of why I find it so much fun in just hearing these old stories and hearing, oh, you know, this kind of the same thing. Didn't know some of the stuff was going on. So he's like, oh, hey, this is really cool. You know, I think that was a, the idea of the fan fest was, look, we want to accommodate people that want to get a photo and an autograph. And again, nobody gets more autographs than me at any of these events. So they are self <laughs> self-serving. But the idea was it's that interaction that you can have with these guys. And, you know, this one has got Baron Von Raschkin. Baron was a national star, whether it was AWA working for Crockett, certainly worked a lot of territories, but here was a guy that was all over. So I like the fact that, you know, you can go up to Baron and have a five minute conversation and maybe jar something in his memory. At the same time, Baron's going to sit down with us, you know, and have dinner and tell us stories about his career. You know, he goes back almost 60 years. Starting yeah. off as a referee in the mid to late 1960s. So to me, that's the key when it comes to the wrestling aspect of it. I love the the fact that fans all will hang out and, you know, go off into groups and do stuff and really oh, yeah. just bond. But I love when the wrestling aspect comes out that fans are able to really connect and talk with these guys as well. And there always is a history lesson. And I love that. I love the fact that, you know, every time we're at a fan fest, I'll hear a story I've never heard before. 
know, there's, it's not just for you. And these aren't stories that, you know, I heard years ago. It's new to me as well. And I love that. You know, I mean, I could sit there and listen to Jerry Briscoe talking before one of these fan fest. If you had told me that, hey, I'd be excited to hear Bill Alfonso talk in person after seeing what his character was like in ECW and wanting to see him get the shit beat out of him on a regular basis. I'd like, no, you're dead. Now I can't wait to see Fonzie again because Fonzie, in a very infamous story, which Mac talks about, he goes, Fonzie kind of cornered you and talked your ear off. And I remember you going, it's fine. This is what he does. So if you were to tell me that I'd be excited for Fonzie to hold my baby and go, hey, daddy, to my six month old child, I might have laughed at you. But here we are. It's going to happen in less than a week. That night with Fonzie, too, over at Glory was Days best. was so much fun. And I remember because I have photos of you talking with him and Fonzie was essentially talking your ear off. He held you for quite yep. a while, <laughs> which was great. But a he, great you know, he's a, he is, he's a great guy. He has always been a great guy. He's a huge supporter of what we do, which I really like as well. Fonzie will call me. He'll want to be there. He wants to be there. I just love that aspect of it. So yeah, Fonzie to me is gold. I think I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask anyways. In all of your fan fest, this being the 10th one, is there somebody you wish who is either here or or no longer with us that you wish could be at one of these. And you, oh, you, I have, mean, you, you could have the two hour dinner with where Jeff would sit there and talk to somebody. Is there one or is there 300? Why don't you give me your top three? Sure. Uh, Gordon Soli. You know, so mine are mine are going to be Florida related. Which oh, was the, yeah. yeah, exactly. Gordon Soley would be right there. Jack Briscoe, Sir Oliver Humperdinck would be my three. With that, I can give you forty-five more names if I you was, want to I go was, for I another was, hour. <laughs> like that. Carl Cox, Wahoo McDaniel. Uh, it just goes. And then you know, a lot of times I stop and think. We've been doing these shows for six years. We have lost close to a dozen attendees, guys that we had. You know, from the Tony. Marinos to Rocky Johnson to Jody Hamilton. And, you know, it just is Stu Schwartz. It continues. Uh, we've lost almost a dozen in six years. One of the things I said on our podcast for years was if you have the chance to meet somebody that was either your idol or somebody that you were impacted by, somebody whose music you love, somebody on a TV show that you watched for years that left an impression on you, go meet these people. Yeah. Because, you know, as we see, especially with COVID and all that, we lost so many great people over the last few years. And, it, you know, there's nothing to me worse than I should have done this. And why the fuck didn't I do it? And look, I'll tell you a story. Uh, and I've got plenty, but this was the worst hmm. one. There was a movie that came out in the early 80s called Eating Raul. Yes. And yeah, Paul Bartel was the director. Yep. And he did also Death Race 2000. That was in 1975. He worked a lot with Roger Corman. He did the smaller, more independent films. And he was working on Eating Raul, the musical, and was living in New York. It was an off-Broadway. And he would come in for lunch for... Four to five. I was a, I was a manager. I know you were going to ask, yeah. but he, yeah. he would come in four or five days out of the week to have lunch. And he would come in with a guy's name was Jed or Judd, and he was the musical director. And he was a really nice guy. He was the guy doing all the music for the Eating Raul. So I think after his second or third time in the restaurant, I went up and I introduced myself. I told him I was a huge fan of Eating Raul. It was, you know, it's one of my favorite, top, top fucking 20 favorite films of all time. And I probably had seen it a hundred times. And he said, Well, you're a glutton for punishment. And we <laughs> struck up this friendship based 
based off, he was a very down to earth guy, no pretense whatsoever. And we had several conversations, one of which I'll share. He was going to do a sequel to Eating Raul and it gotten funding. And the star of the film was Chevy Chase. And what? His, Yes, which to me would have been the weirdest thing ever. I I don't see it. I don't see that at all. But he blamed the failure of the film taking off on Chevy Chase, who he called a fucking asshole. And I just thought that was so cool. Exactly, because you could also believe it. (laughs) So, Paul, I I probably interacted with him some 30 or 40 times. That's amazing. And it it was a big deal. Like, we would have some of the biggest stars in the world at the time come in. You know, Madonna would come in. I clearly didn't give a shit but paul bartell comes in and i'm wetting myself right so yeah so he came in we interacted i truly liked him a lot and then i didn't see him for a month or two and then judd came in and said paul died and paul had he had had pancreatic cancer and apparently it had it during the time i was friendly with him but i just didn't even know it so he said his funeral service is going to be on Tuesday. I think it was a Tuesday as well. I think he said the funeral service is going to be on Tuesday. It's at two o'clock at this location. You should come. And I was flattered and honored and also realizing I'm going to get to meet people like Mary Warrenov, who yep. was his best friend in life and also in, played his wife in Eating Raul and did a whole bunch of movies. But there's going to be a lot of Warhol people there. He was very much into the Warhol scene and this underground scene. And one thing came up and I didn't get to go. And I got to tell you that long-winded story I just told you was a regret that 23, 24 years later, I still carry to this day that I wasn't able to get there. So long story short, if you have the opportunity in any form to do something like anything we've just described, go fucking do it because the regret's the worst thing. I'm still mad seven, eight years later, I didn't get to see Tom Petty in concert. And then last year, we lost Kevin Conroy, who voiced arguably the greatest Batman ever. Right. And do you know how many times I walked by him at a comic book convention and said, ah, get him later, you know? And it's like, Stan Lee for me. You know how many times yeah. I saw Stan Lee at a con? And I'm like, oh, he's at every one. I'll get him at another point. Yeah. I love these guys you think are going to be around forever. And I mean, Stanley pretty much was around forever. I I get that. And that's why I think these intimate events are so great that, you know, you limit it to 150 people, but everybody gets to talk. And then you get to meet somebody like Ricky Steamboat, who I remember as a kid thinking, watching him wrestle Ric Flair and it blew my mind. I'm sure he's heard that a 5 million times. And then you get that Q&A with him where you're picking his brain and then someone asks about his dad, Sam. (laughs) Yeah. And And again, the funniest part of that was that guy is very smart to the business. He's been a fan for, uh, I'll say 50, no, shit, he's been a fan for 60 years. I'm a fan for 50 years at this point. That guy's a fan for 60 years and he's a bright guy. And somehow the world of kayfabe uh, escaped him. Like, you know, like he just, yeah. yeah, he came up with that, that Sam Steamboat really is Ricky's father. And we were all kind of stunned at that. The look on Ricky's face, but he handled it like a professional. He did. Yes, he did. And I mean, that that was two of the coolest hours of my life as a fan, hearing Ricky do that Q&A. And I know you guys talked highly about Magnum doing his. I wish, Mac, and I wish we would have been there for that because I would have loved to hear that because you guys remember, I mean, I was a baby when Magnum was like in his prime. 
And now I'm going back and realizing, holy shit, this dude could have been the biggest star. And for me, you know, getting here, Rashke talk and here, Jerry Briscoe talk, who JJ and I had Mid Atlantic on, and we just watched the heel turn where they, him and his brother, turned heel on Steamboat and Youngblood. I'm like, dude, you're going to get to see him, you know? You know, it's like a stooge is going to hold my son. I can't believe I'm saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Magnum was great too, and he truly was great. He and we didn't know what to expect, right? Like we had heard certain things, but this is what also happens: the level of respect that is shown by the attendees, by the ticket buyers towards the talent, is almost second to none. And with the exception of one guy who turns it around and kind of makes it about himself, you know, I think you have an idea of who I'm talking about. Everybody is really respectful, yep. and everybody defers to the legends. And there's, I think they're able to relax and then have these conversations where if they're doing these Q and A's, you know, I've gone to like monster mania and cherry Hill, which I love by yeah. the way, but the Q and A's, there's probably 500 people in that room, right? I mean, yeah. this is a hundred people when they're doing the Q and A, if even a hundred people at that stage. Yeah. So they're not intimidated by these big crowds. They can relax. They can have a beverage. They got a plate of food. They can sit and talk and it's a much more relaxed atmosphere, which leads to better storytelling. Yes. And then after, after you hear the Baron this year, you get Gary Michael Capetta, who I didn't know until you interviewed him on your podcast, how far back his career goes. He's seen some shit too. And I can't wait to, you know, kind of pick his brain and just hear these guys tell stories. And, you know, I mean, obviously you have some of your own and you've shared them past six years and we'd love to have you back and share more, obviously, on here after you're settled in in your new palatial studio in Florida. And yeah, I'm pretty excited about that too. So that's, uh, <laughs> that, that hopefully helps, uh, yeah comes a little bit sooner than later that I'm able to to take care of that. But yeah, it, it is so exciting. And I'll always, anytime I'm asked, I'll always figure out a way to come on your show and to come on the other ship. I'm really excited for the Q&As. Gary Michael Capetta is going to be a lot of fun. And he's actually excited about this. I think I've had two conversations, maybe three off air with Gary about the fan fest because he doesn't know what to make of it. You know, he's so used to like the big event in Queens, New York, which has got 4,000 people and there's nowhere to walk and you can't even breathe in the building because yep. it's so I've crowded. And he goes, yeah, exactly. So it's like for him, I've had to explain this concept and he goes, so wait, you actually stop selling tickets? And I'm like, yeah, like we're not, you know, it's not about jamming a lot of people. It's about the experience. So yeah, it's completely new for him as well. Have you told Dave Penzer to stand back because there's a real ring announcer in the building now. No, but I'll, I'll actually going to steal that line and use that now that you've... Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I like that. Because holy shit, like he's talking old 1976 and you follow him on Facebook and there's so much like history that he knows. I'm like, dude, I'm like, this is great. You know, yeah, you I didn't, and I didn't know a lot of the stuff that he was telling us when we had him on the show, uh, you know, a month ago or whatever it's been. It's like, I mean, he goes back to the mid 70s, early 70s when Gorilla just found him essentially yeah. like it was one of those kind of was serendipitous as they as the kids today like to say you being a wrestling archivist as you are i'm it's sure you can appreciate a lot of i can it's you know and it's a lot of people one question i've been asked a lot of people i hate when people say that you know everybody's asking me this nobody's fucking asking you so you know what i mean when people say that yep. i get asked this all the time no you fucking don't. don't don't you know but i had somebody once asked me i should say that's probably the best way to phrase it one time in my life i had somebody ask me did i ever want to get involved in professional 
professional wrestling. And the truth was, I really didn't. I, I was happy being on this side of where I was. And I was happy being a fan. And, you know, even with the fan fest, it, it's never about putting me over. It's never about any of that. It's more about the event and what we do and what takes place. So, yeah. So a question I have to ask, will you be challenging Jerry Briscoe for that beautiful CWF title belt? Will there be some sort of confrontation between you and him for that beautiful title belt while we're in? Well, so I believe Jerry and myself are going to get together earlier in the week. And I plan on challenging Jerry when I see him. So I think we're going to have lunch or dinner and he knows the challenge is coming. So I'm going full intent on leaving that building where we're eating with a full belly and a belt around my ever-expanding waistline. But I will tell you that title will be with me or Jerry Briscoe. It'll be with one of us in Lutz June the 3rd, which really is just a couple of days away, I think, from this, uh, from where we are right now. And if anybody wants to challenge Jerry, or if I take it back, challenge me, I'm always up for it. And if somebody does challenge Jerry and beats him, just know that I'm coming back for my title, Chris Spiker. Your title? Well, I know, and I'm going to try and get a few recorded words from him later on that there might be somebody trying to come after your title. Uh-oh. Yes. And there may be a promo forthcoming after we drop this show from him. But Jerry, again, brother, thank you for your time. This has been it's always great to talk to you. And I know we could go on for hours and hours and we have any closing words before we saddle up here for people coming to FanFest? Absolutely too. So FanFest related, if you are on the fence about coming, fuck it. Jump over, be on the one side of the fence. If you don't have money, go out and rob a bank. Uh, Max out your credit cards. If you have money, let me tell you, this may only be the end of May right now, but these fan fests, they make great stocking stuffers for Christmas. So you give the Christmas present really early. Come down and be with us. I've been checking the weather. Looks like the weather's going to be good too, which is really nice. Florida, Florida is great any time of the year, but this is it. You know, there will not be another CWF Legends fan fest and in the foreseeable future and when i say that most likely never again so yeah i I encourage you come down and see us spend some time with us it's going to be a great event baron's going to be great jerry briscoe steve kern gary michael capetta all of our talent's going to be good but again the highlight it's hanging out with people who are exactly like us chris Yep. Yes, it is. And and the food tour. I mean, we, we can't go away without talking about all the food that is consumed at various places throughout this. Yeah, I got to say, I was uh, when I saw I look at the tickets, uh, who's bought a ticket every day. And when I saw the name Aaron Grafton, I got so happy because I know he's the human coleslaw machine, uh, <laughs> which was which was great because at that I just look over and this guy's got a pound of coleslaw in his gullet. Like that was just the greatest thing. But Aaron also, and I think it was the fourth event was the lobster roll, (laughs) which was, yes, which is a story. That was so much fun. That was just so funny. So I'm always excited. I know that if I'm going over to glory days, as long as Aaron Grafton's going to be near me, I'm in good shape. I've never seen a man visually make love to a sandwich. Like he did that. (laughs) Exactly. I've never seen a, 
love relationship <laughs> between a man and a sandwich like I did that night. And I have a picture of him staring at it. It's one of my favorite pictures ever. Even the coleslaw. It's a, the coleslaw. He wasn't just eating coleslaw. He was making love to the coleslaw. You're yeah, you're 100 percent right. Check. Uh, yeah. I mean, the food, the friendship, the I mean, the family bonds that have been formed from just these events. I cannot understand it enough. If you're one of these people listening that is not going for whatever reason, I mean, obviously, I know things come up, but life happens. But catch yourself there because you're never going to see this again. You're never going to get something like this again. And Barry, I mean, from on behalf of all of us, thank you for all the hard work you've put into making these events happen. And I appreciate it. You know, and I say this, I believe I've said this at every event and I say it because it's true, but you know, if you hold a party and nobody comes have you really held a party, right? So it's like, yeah, when you hold a fan fest, it's great that I can do this work and make it. But if people don't come or people don't appreciate it, then it doesn't matter. You know, it's all for naught. So honestly, I appreciate the fact when someone thanks me, but I, to me, the true thanks goes to the people that support the event, the people that buy tickets and made these things go on for so long. You know, that's the other aspect. This, when we started, it was going to be one and done. We were going to do one event and that was it. And then we're like, let's do a second one. And I think, you know, leading up to every event, I've been ready to quit, you know, like again, three, four or five and so on. I'll be like, fuck it. This is it. This is the last one. This one, I can tell you, if I had not made the decision already, <laughs> I would have made the decision. This is fucking the last one. It's just been, it's a challenge. The, the economy today is a challenge. Inflation is hit. The wrestling industry as well. Everybody charges more. Airline fees, hotel fees, all the way around. But I'm so grateful that we've had nine amazing events. And even next week, regardless of what happens, and I want to think we've gotten the shit out of the way, uh, it's still going to be great because we all get to be together. We all get to have fun. And, you know, Saturday night, I got to tell you, you look at highlights and things and and you're talking about, you know, the food tour and what we're going to do. And I got to tell you, if there was one thing I might be looking forward to more than anything else, it's going to be Saturday night at Glory Days. One more time, 10 o'clock at night, we're all, there's 30, 40, 50 of us. I mean, last year was fucking nuts. The one, were you there? You weren't there at the one in June. because I I was at neither one last year because June was Christine's uh, medical residency graduation. That's right. In November, we were anxiously anticipating. We all know had I made it down there, Christine would go on in the labor and then it would have been a mad scramble for me. And And that's exactly what would have happened. Yeah, but we were, we had the entire outside, that outside patio, and then we had tables inside. That was the most I may have ever seen. But the glory days, because at that point, everything's done. I can relax. I'm not, you know, I finally, where I'm all keyed up and coked up and, you know, all crazy and I'm not really coked up, but I'm, I'm energetic. Saturday night at glory days is where I'm able to pull back and crash a little bit and have a cocktail or five and just enjoy and just talk to everybody and relax. And, you know, I have a feeling there may be tears in my eyes that night as I realize this might be the last time that group is all together at glory days like that. That's going to be a big deal for me. How many Bombay and tonics with two limes are you planning on consuming that evening? It will be Bombay Sapphire. So it'll be Bombay Sapphire and tonic. I would say I'm three in easy. I'm going to probably eat if I can beg plead for Linda to stay an extra day in Florida, which means I don't have to begin my drive Sunday morning back home, then I'll probably drink even more because I may experience a little hangover at that point, but I won't give a shit. So I plan on being hungover as 
fuck when I fly out of Tampa on Sunday morning. And I'm okay with that. The last, absolute last question here. What is Ozzy Rose's appearance rider this time? I know he has certain demands and need to be met for him to appear at these. What is, what, it what's does. So I got to say my boy is coming up on 10 years old. He is in great shape. He is, I got to tell you, is spectacular. And look, I am a parent. So I am, as you are, Chris, so you, you'll get this as everybody who is a parent, but uh, we all love our kids the most. Our kids are the most special kids on the face of the earth. We all feel the same way. We all, we're all world's greatest dad and mom, etc. But uh, Ozzy over the last couple of years has even become more loving and more puppyish. And I guess he's reverting, you know, he's going becoming an old man. He is just spectacular. And his writer is, he wants a lot of love at FanFest. He wants a lot of attention. He wants a lot of scratches. And I'm going to put this out there. He wants somebody to either come back with pizza crust or French fries for him. I was going to say one of Max's favorite things was the fan fest he attended Thursday night at Culver's. He apparently fed him a whole thing of fries. He so did. I- and part of his burger, which I get. And I got to say, so Linda and I, and you got to love the lovely Linda, who is my girlfriend, by the way. Absolutely. I love her. And I can't wait to see her again. Please send her our best. Linda, Chris Biker sends his best. The entire other ship send their best. Can't wait to see everyone. There you go. Linda says she can't wait to see everybody. But so Linda and I are beginning our drive on Sunday and the drive will take us from Sellersville, suburb of Philly to uh, Pooler, Georgia, which is essentially Savannah. And that's where I always do. I stay at the same hotel, but I eat dinner in Pooler, Georgia. And of the 15 times I think I've driven through Pooler, Georgia, only twice have I not gone to Culver's. So, you know, poor Linda has to put up with me and has to put up with a lot of things. And all she's like, so what are we going to do? And I, for me, I'm listing like all restaurants. She goes, are we doing anything else? Or are we going to go? To, you know, like, <laughs> of course. But but realize food is, you know, food is food. It's my hobby. It's my, it's my existence in Culver's because I don't have Culver's up here. So we We are spending the Sunday before Memorial Day as we hit Savannah, popping into Culver's and getting our food, and then we'll make it down there. But I'm so excited to see everybody. It's going to be a great time. And uh, Chris, I appreciate you having me on today as well. Hey, anytime, Barry. You know, you're always welcome here. I know you're wrapping up your legacy on there and, you know, give you a chance to breathe, but you are welcome anytime. Just drop in. Plus, I have a list of questions here that me and my incredible co-host want to have answered that I know, and none of them are wrestling related. That makes it even better. Well, I like that. And I'll tell you what, if you, so something that Jeff and I have done the last two podcasts, uh, or the last two times we've had fan fests, we've we've recorded segments with our listeners at the fan fest. So if you want to even do an in-person deal, me and you, uh, when we're down in Lutz, I would love to do that. I think we can probably make something like that happen. So I love it. All right, brother. Thank You'd you. Be again, good, my brother. friend. Thank you. Always later. Two more days, boys. Two more days. We are almost in the home stretch, not only of the show, but the stretch of the fan fest. So the next time you hear our sweet tones, we will be sitting, well, a few of us will be sitting in Lutz, Florida. We're looking forward to seeing everybody there. I don't know, guys. I mean, we pretty good show. What do you guys think? I think we had a great show. We covered a lot of ground over the big pay-per-views this weekend. Great interview with Barry. Uh, I want to make sure to give a shout out to our good friend, Jamie Ward, and his show, uh, Regional Wrestling with Ray Russell. You can find that on WrestleCopia.com or wherever you find your podcasts. 
They are covering 1981 Georgia and doing a fantastic in-depth job of talking about everything that happened in that promotion at that time. And also our good friend Roman Gomez working with Ray on regional wrestling covering 1986 Mid-South. Roman is a walking encyclopedia when it comes to this stuff. And also, if you're looking for some kind of footage, hit him up on Facebook. He probably has a TV from certain years, comp, not tapes anymore, but compilations of various wrestlers and or factions. There's a 12-disc Dangerous Alliance set that is amazing. He's, he's got anything you're probably looking for. And if he doesn't have it, he can find it most likely. And a shout out to Ray Russell for putting all that together. Yeah. I've listened to some of the stuff and dude is very thorough in all of his research. Yes, he is. Shout out to Ray as well for um, letting them promote us on his shows and also for all the hard work he puts into every aspect of what he does on his podcast. So great job, Ray. Guys, keep up the great work. Also want to give a shout out to the Josephines who will uh, have all their stuff available and found at josephines.net. You can find all their social contacts there, merch, concert dates, Batman CDs, vinyl, all that good stuff. And also want to say what's up and shout out uh, Katie and Amy from What's the Vibe for giving us uh, a shout out on their show and uh, return the favor, say what's up to them. Check those guys out on YouTube or wherever you podcast. Pontificate on some sort of topic altogether uh, maybe after the von eric movie comes out cross pollination there you go there you go hey they're calling their crew the vibe tribe the vibe <laughs> tribe okay all right you gotta bring to it yeah they didn't want to go with vibers they thought oh. it had connotations sure sure well i mean i mean is it i mean is it a different connotation than these nuts yeah. see now that they're not using it i can say it without laughing what the hell yes but shout out to those wonderful ladies thank you for plugging us and you know maybe we can all do a podcast or something together soon i would love to sit around and talk about true crime and bs style stories and yet another shout out for our t public store with all the cool designs that our lovely artists have been coming up with trust me if you think about it or you've heard it on the show, we might have it on there. Check the Facebook group or the link. Facebook group is The Other Ship Podcast. Our T Public store is The Other Ship. If you enjoy what we do, give us a little support there. Buy a t-shirt, buy some stickers. And Drew mentioned the Josephines and their socials. You can find all their information in the episode description every week along with a thank you to the Josephines for allowing us to use their music every week. This week, our song from the Josephines is Never Ends off of the Cocaine or Cowboys CD. Buy that on their website. Fantastic from start to finish. Support those guys. Looking forward to seeing them again on the show here. Yes. Sandler Palooza. I think they're currently out on tour, aren't they? Uh, yeah, they've got several dates coming up. Looks like toward the end of the summer, they might be close. I think the closest they'll be to our neck of the woods, Mike, is Joliet, Illinois, which is about 150 oh. away from here. All right. If they're anywhere near you, get out and check them out. Yes. Tell them the other ship sent you. Yes. You'll enjoy it. Is there anything else you need to hit this week, guys? Are we ready to get out of here and get to the last last show while, while Spiker and I are chilling in Florida? Heck yeah. So we'll just say we'll see you next time and enjoy. Damn, kids, get off my lawn.
Goodbye.